Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture show broadcast from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with a brand new episode. And as you can tell from the title, we're talking about Infinity War because it's part three in the Russo retrospective covering all the Russo Brothers movies, part of the MCU. Now, in order to continue this conversation, i got to have my co-host with me to talk all things Marvel, and especially when it comes to the Russo Brothers' contribution to the MCU. He is the host of both Fans Without Borders and Marvel Squadcast, part of the Squadcast Media Podcast Network. Mr. Brent Clark, how are you doing, Brent? I am doing great. I am excited to talk about some Infinity War. You know, we've been uh, looking forward to this one basically since I finished Civil War. Our discussion last time was like, great, now I get to watch the next movie because that's how I've been doing this. Once we have our talk, then I'll watch the next movie. I'm ready for some Infinity War. I mean, it's like it's the joke that never gets old, at least with, between us anyway. I don't know about the listeners, but it's not like you really need a reason to rewatch. A, the MCU, but B, specifically these four movies. But it's a really good excuse, especially for my wife. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I wonder what your wife thinks of it as she just walks in the room and she says, again? And then turns, she pivots on her heels and leaves. Well, it helps that she really does like these movies. Well, yeah, I mean, if she detests them, then I think it'd be a much different conversation whenever you want to rewatch these. Uh, yeah, it'd be a much shorter conversation, I imagine. No, she she definitely definitely enjoys them. I I'm, I uh, was asking her some of my trivia questions earlier for this Marvel trivia thing that I'm doing soon, and it, it she she was quite proud of herself for you know figuring out a couple answers. So she she definitely enjoys this stuff, which is awesome, and it's good to have compatibilities like that. And having been previewed on some of the questions right there. I pray for those who are part of this <laughs> trivia contest because some of them are, I mean, they're tougher than animantium, that's for sure. I'm just saying, if I were asked these questions before I was researching some of it to confirm some of my memories and stuff, I would have struggled with some of the questions that I've come up with. Because mercy is not in your vocabulary when it comes to Marvel. No, no mercy. No mercy this time. Mm -hmm. No, no, I mean, maybe if the contestants had one more day to research them, whoa, I don't know. Whoa, shots fired! <laughs> shots fired! Whoa, whoa. Uh, All right, well, good show, everybody. Oh, boy, like, how, how do you get Brett Clark to hang up on you? You met, you met, you met, you, uh... You reference one of the most controversial Spider-Man stories in the past 20 years and uh, to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, before uh, Mephisto comes in, uh, kills me on Brent's behalf right there, uh, let's jump into our view of Avengers Infinity War right now. <laughs> Okay, 
Now, this is a little different here because, Brent, you have actually reviewed this movie prior, haven't you? I have. This is, uh, for this series we're doing, this is the first one that I've done a review for. I've, I did, like, formal reviews of this show. I did one for Fans Without Borders, and, of course, we had follow-up discussions about it. I've talked about it on several episodes of that show. I also reviewed it. I was a guest on an episode of All Things Batman on Film where I re- for a review of this show. So I have definitely – I've done – I think those are the only two official reviews, and I've, but tons and tons of – discussion and like questions that came up especially in 2018 about this movie from the listeners so yes unlike civil war unlike winter soldier i have had the pleasure of talking about this movie before but that doesn't mean i'm still not excited to go dive into it again i mean you make it sound like i I could have gotten a soundboard of your feelings on this movie and then had i would have spoken out into the ether then press a button and have a response ready maybe but here's the thing it would have been a response from 2018. It doesn't have, you know, a couple years worth of additional uh, retrospective, to use that word, of thinking about and talking with other Marvel fans about this movie and insights of things that I will see in this movie that I maybe didn't pick out when I first watched it opening weekend. Um, it So, it, you know, it's not the same. And I mean, granted, I watched it a lot of times opening weekend, but still, it's not quite... It's not quite the same. That's fair. And like that was the one thing I was curious about here. Like, If your feelings on this movie would have been different compared to your fans of that Borders review. like I was almost tempted to go back and re-listen to that as part of my research for this um, prior to it. But I was like, no, no, no. I don't want to... I don't want to say, like, taint the conversations. Like, oh, no, you've already spoken about this and move on. And... And everybody who's listening to this, like, say, like, well, I don't, I don't remember that being spoken about, yada, yada, yada. You know, I, I didn't even think about doing that. And I'll be honest, if I had, I probably would have just to kind of put my, my head back in that space. Um, for the record, just to get it out there, I saw this movie three times opening weekend, basically Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then I saw it two additional times in theater. So I, it, Theatrically, at the time, this was the movie I'd seen more than any other. I mean, we all know what broke that record. We'll we'll get to that conversation soon. That's later. That's yeah. Next time. Um, but I, I like. <laughs> I just imagine you showing up to the movie theater with like a fake mustache and a goofy hat to fool the uh, ushers and cashiers. Like, no, no, I'm not the same person who's been here all this time. You know what's fun about it is like. You go see the movie and you're at that Thursday night crowd and it's packed theater. But then you go again on Friday night and it's a packed theater. And you can just tell that the vast majority, if not everybody else in the theater, and for for what it's worth, that was like that was a solo viewing for me. So I, I don't know for sure. Like I was there by myself, but it was packed and as in sold out. And it's like you can just tell these people haven't seen this movie before. So I was like, I'm I know what's coming. I'm every bit as excited as I was for the first viewing, but it is fun to like know like the reaction you're probably about to hear at this entrance or at this event or at that joke or whatever. It it is fun to experience a movie like that. I think with a whole group of people that haven't heard or haven't seen it before. Right, and especially how this movie has so many ebbs and flows, twists and turns. It is something to. And almost like you get to be an observer of the audience just as much as the movie is like, oh, let's see how they react to this. And then 
curious to see like oh that joke didn't land with this crowd compared to this one or this this uh dramatic moment hit harder than last one it so i, I imagine you get to be uh <laughs> like uh just like hmm just making mental notes on on different kind of crowds reacting to different things definitely definitely and so like with that in mind like what was your expectations going in after seeing black panther so Black Panther was like this massive high. Like when I went into Black Panther, I knew that that movie was going to just be something really special. And I feel like I was right. It was something really special. And coming out of that, it's like there's all these characters that I want to see together. I want to see them meet. I want to see the Guardians and the Avengers meet and the different kinds of groups. And I want to, you know, going into the movie, I want to see Tony and Steve reconcile. Or do they reconcile? I want to see their next conversation. And little did I know that I'd have to wait a bit longer to see that next conversation, you know, a whole nother year. But it's like, I'm going in, I'm thinking about that stuff, and I'm thinking about Spider-Man's evolving accord. And then it's like, I just saw this Black Panther movie. He was awesome in Civil War. He was even cooler in his own movie. I want to see more Black Panther now, too. And, I mean, the hype I had for this movie... At the time, again, had not never been even approached. I mean, there had always been movies I was super hyped for, right? especially Civil War, Spider-Man's involvement in the MCU for the first time. But it was different for this. Like, Marvel was doing their, like, biggest crossover event in history. Promotional line. And the thing is, like, it really was. <laughs> it was like, it really was the biggest crossover event in history. And you could maybe even make a debate of whether or not that's still true, just because of this happened before Endgame. Like, I, I would entertain that discussion. And, I mean, I tell you, the hype was so massively high with me. And when I left the theater, it had lived up to it. I had thoughts. I had questions. Oh, man, did I have questions. But it lived up to it. And what I loved was, I didn't just know immediately how they were going to resolve everything. Okay, they're somehow going to undo the snap. I didn't know what that was going to look like. And I had gone into the movie ready to bet money that Thanos was going to snap his fingers and it was going to fade to black. And we were not going to see what happens. And it really threw me for a loop that we did get to see a couple minutes past that snap. Really surprised me. I did not expect that. So ultimately... They cashed, a, or they, they cashed, they wrote a really big check with the marketing for this movie. And I would say they delivered. They cashed it. They, I mean, grossed over $2 billion. Massive phenomenon at the time. And uh, you, you got a lot of, you got a lot of people who've, you know, like me, pretty much loved the MCU since Iron Man 1 back in 2008. You know, had been there since the very beginning. Loved it. You got a lot of fans who loved it, who came along across the way. You know, you as this franchise like this, not everybody was there day one. They're still every bit the same fans you are. They just came to it later. They were there. They were hyped. I think a lot of people first went and saw Black Panther. I think Black Panther was a lot of people's first Marvel movie. And then they turn around and they show up for this. Oh, he was amazing there. Well, let's go see his next appearance a few months later. You know, we only have to wait from uh, Feb like February to April. And... I mean, really, just they pulled it off. 
people are really wondering how are they going to, how are the Russo brothers, how are Marcus McFeely, the writers, how are they going to juggle a cast this large? And they pulled it off. And I would say criticism overall of the movie that I've heard is people think, thought that like character X or character Y didn't maybe get as much screen time as they would have wanted. Captain America, for example, he's very much a part of this movie, but he's not like, he doesn't have a ton of screen time in it. Right. And then eventually it kind of came out to like some of those characters you wanted to see more from wait till you see Endgame. And if you look at these together, I don't think anybody would tell you Captain America was short on it screen time. But so they, they kind of threw it for a loop because we weren't expecting some of these other pairings and relationships that came out of this. And of course we'll get to them as we get there, but we wanted to see a crossover. We wanted to see these characters meet and clash and crazy team ups and crazy interactions. And that's what we got. That's what we got. They delivered. And, uh, it's like, I didn't have relief. I mean, I, I knew they could, but it's just like, just joy. Like the movie is not a joyful movie. Some people would consider it as the darkest movie. The MCU has told the darkest story they have told. And I think there's definitely room like for that debate, but just like joy at like this franchise that I love so much. And they stuck the landing. Well, effectively it's not the landing, but like they, they did it. You know, they, they set out to do this thing and they proved they could do it. And then at the end of it all, there's this lingering thought in a year, we're doing this again in a year. One more time. We're going to see what this stuff is like. So that's, that's where I was at. Obviously I was kind of all over the place, but you know, once you, once you get into the movie theater, it's best to just try to let some of those expectations go, sit down and take the movie as it's presented to you. Easier said than done. But luckily for me, I was thoroughly entertained from start to finish. Very nice, and since I haven't had a chance to speak about it, it was when Chadwick Boseman passed away not too long ago, earlier this year. Like it, it, like you were the one who broke the news to me, and that, like, I was literally, I forget, like, what I was doing that night, but I literally had to, I literally had to sit down and just take that in because it was so struck by like so because of it being so out of left field and i in later that weekend i had to watch black panther because i wanted to celebrate him i haven't been able to do it yet and it's i won't lie that it was a tough sit and and so like then again like as life goes on and things just kind of (laughs) to be fair a lot more things have become more precedent in my uh everyday life in the past couple of weeks. And so watching mm-hmm. Infinity War for this episode and seeing Chadwick Boseman show up again, I was like, I, it, it took my breath away again. And it's just, I, I realized life is not fair all the time and that he went far too soon. And I am grateful that he has left his mark. I rather have him to have like these kind of moments here. Like, of course, like everybody is remorseful that we won't get to see him tell more stories. But I'm glad he was here to tell these stories to begin with. And so, watching again for this for this review, it was just 
it just made me like this, like oh, it made me sullen, like oh, all right, that's not gonna have that kind of thing going forward. And I, that's something like I haven't had a chance to speak about the passing of Chadwick Boseman, so that's I want to get those two cents in before we go further, um, because I want this episode to be uh, upbeat as much as possible, dealing with the subject matter here, and. It is curious here, like, because I remember when I first saw this, I was supposed to see this with a uh, friend of mine who is in our circle friends that I thought, like, I don't know, a relationship could develop between the two of us. And I kind of blew off two friends in the attempt to go see this with this woman. Uh, But... It didn't end up working out, so I ended up seeing this movie by myself, much to the chagrin, and I got a lot of shit for it, and deservingly slow, so by my two friends, because they thought I'd, I abandoned them to go see this with a, a friend of ours. Um, so I saw this by myself, and what I would do uh, for big releases like this, is just, well, I have, a, uh, I am... Uh, I would say lucky that I have uh, several chains of movie theaters in my general vicinity. And like I have an AMC, I have a Regal, I have a Cinemark or a Showcase Cinema, excuse me. And, but also like there's like, if you go out of your way, there's mom and pop movie theaters and there's one I would go to for big releases for two reasons. Oh, a couple of reasons now, now I think about it. One, if the movie's uh, listed starting at 7 o'clock, it starts at 7 o'clock. They'll start the previews 25 to 15 minutes earlier before the actual movie begins. I love that. I wish that was a thing everywhere. Right. Um, it did kind of screw with me when I went to go see Spectre because I showed up like, oh, no, we got the previews. And I, oh, we walk, my girlfriend at the time and I walk in and it's in the middle of like the opening shot, like the big long take of Bond going through the Day of the Dead celebration. I'm like, oh, I guess we're late. Um, and the fact that they're, they're just cheaper because it's a mom and pop uh, movie theater and it's, it rarely, I rarely have a time like, Oh, uh, in fear of, of things being sold out. Um, I know my friend Dakota doesn't really like the place because he prefers like having the nice leather bound seats that you can, uh, put your feet up with. It's, it's a traditional movie theater with, uh, of like the, the baseball theater seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I prefer that because my uh, it's call me nostalgic if you want about the movie theater experience like that. So I ended up seeing Infinity War in that theater and was blown away by it. And most Marvel movies you come out, everybody's kind of chatting, having a good time. Little kids are running around like pretending they're Iron Man or Captain America. <laughs> you walk out of this movie and everybody's just like, oh, well. I guess this is the closest thing to a Marvel movie as a wake. It's like, oh, geez. Like, everybody was in the kind of dour mood because the movie ends that way. It was purposely so. But I'm glad that it made such an impact. And to the point that I know mutual friend of ours, Jamie Drilly, who was not a fan of this movie because he's not a fan of the characterization of Thanos in this movie. Who's one of his favorite comic characters. I think he said it's like his second favorite Marvel character behind Captain America, I believe. Yes. And the story in question, the reason why he appreciates both those characters so much is from the Jim Starlin comic, the infinity gauntlet. 
um, which he told me to read, and I eventually did, and I'm pissed because I've lost the trade. I don't know where it is, and I know you're smirking because since you're all digital, you could be like, oh, I can just open up my iPad, and boom, I can read Infinity Gauntlet, and I mean, I'm just like... Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't have it. I never paid for it, but I, I, I had never read it prior to this movie, and so before this came out, I was like, I want to read it. So I pulled it up on Marvel Unlimited, and I read it probably a month or so before the movie came came out, maybe a little longer. I mean, like I have the Silver Surfer trade. I found that, but I can't find my Infinity Gauntlet one, because like the one that reintroduces Thanos to the world. Um. And, like, I love Ron Lim's art. I mean, and, of course, it has that famous moment between Captain America and Thanos when all the people who are left on Earth, all the heroes that are left on Earth trying to go kill Thanos, and his characterization is similar but different. Like, he's still an eco-terrorist. However, his characterization in the comic, he's obsessed with death, and death is a living being in the Marvel Cinematic, in the Marvel Universe. And he does this, he, he gets all the Infinity Stones so he could impress death by eliminating half the universe. But the problem is that he's become theoretically more powerful than death. And it's, she's just not giving, reciprocating the, the feelings back to him that he's giving to her. And that's the kind of irony of that story. You know, <laughs> sorry, Jamie. I gotta say, I I like Thanos more in the movies than I do in the comics. I in the comics, I always found him pretty one dimensional. Oh, you want to kill all of ha- all like half of all life? Well, what is your reason for why you want to do that? Oh, you want to get in Death's pants? Death is a like a living embodiment. It's a woman he is trying to court. I'm like that. Ultimately, his motivation. That's his motivation. I. In this movie, to me, I like the motivation more. Same objective. End half of all life. But the difference is here, it's more of a, like you said, an eco-terrorist thing. And that's why you get, like, the subreddit and stuff that popped up of, like, Thanos was right. Right? I think his motivations here are more interesting. And... A lot of people would say, well, why does, when he gets all the stones, why does he not just snap his fingers and double all of the resources in the universe instead of subtracting half of all life? Or you subtract half of all life, eventually it's going to build back up. And it's like, people seem to think that, like, Thanos is, like, all-knowing, right? Like, this perfect being, he knows exactly the perfect thing to do. It's like, no, he's a villain with a flawed plan. (laughs) It's like, I'm sorry, his plan wasn't perfect. You're right. He could have done those things, and there's problems with those too. He could have just doubled all the resources or whatever. But unless he's going to do it again, he's going to have that same problem again another time. There was no great... He's a supervillain, you know? It's like, But I think ultimately his motivations, even though the overall objective was the same, I just prefer them here. That said, I totally understand Jamie's... Let's call it annoyance with this take on the character, even though that's probably way, way too light. I get it. I totally get it. If somebody has a character that they absolutely love, it's one of their favorite characters from a universe or whatever, and then they go on a movie and you don't like the way the movie portrays them, I understand why you would have that disdain for that movie. I, I get it. I, so I don't blame him at all. I just I I wish he enjoyed it more because I think it's a great movie, and I, I would appreciate that for him. 
but it is what it is. And he doesn't, and you know, it's not like he's ever rude about it or anything. He just, he'll just tell you, I don't like it. I don't want to talk about it. And I, I really respect the way he handles that. So I, while I wish he got more enjoyment out of it, I get why he doesn't. And ultimately it's just to play like Jamie and I all listen to him on Holy Backcast. And I often like really agree with him, but every now and then I don't. And this is just one of those things we don't agree on. Right. I mean, like, even I have made the joke to Jamie about Thanos' characterization in the comic. He's just like, like, come on, I did all, all this to you. I'm a good guy. It's like, uh, you're trying a little hard. And, but it does lead to, like, since the comic is not bound by the licensing agreements of all the characters in the movies, so seeing all, like, the characters throw whatever they have at... Thanos at pretty much his lair with uh, with Death watching, and Captain America pulling Wolverine to the side. It's like, hey, none of these people know what it's like to kill somebody to take a life, but that's what you were here for, and you're the ace in the hole, pretty much. Uh, which I always love, and then of course you have the Captain America speech. It's like, as long as there's one person standing, there'll always be somebody there to, to try and stop you, Thanos. Like, that's just really awesome. But then it ends with all the, like, I forget, like, what was the, uh, what was it, like, uh, it was not, uh, what was it Galactus and everybody else, like, show up to, to stop Thanos at that oh point near gosh. the end of the story? I would have to double check. Um, I, I would have, I would have to double check it. But, you know, you mentioned, like, Wolverine and stuff's involvement and, like, uh, Silver Surfer in the in the in the comic was like blasted back to Earth and found Doctor Strange to say, "Hey, we need help." Whereas, like in this movie, Hulk takes that role. I I do think that this movie, uh, I think it was as great as it possibly could have been. I think it could have been with the characters they had access to. Do I think it could have been better with the X Men or Silver Surfer, or the Fantastic Four involvement? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think potentially that, that could be the case. But after having seen the movie, I don't watch it and think, oh, I wish Wolverine was here. Oh, I wish Silver Surfer was here. I look forward to the day to see those interacting with some of my favorite characters. But I don't I, I don't miss it, if that makes sense. Right. And like, and even the, the movie pays lip service to the comic where at the end of an Infinity Gauntlet story... After the gauntlet's taken away from him, and with Adam Warlock in possession of it, he's just like, I'm just going to live my life as a farmer and be more introspective. And we kind of get the lip service to that at the end of this and in the beginning of Endgame of Thanos being the farmer. Yeah, when he looks out over a grateful universe. Precisely. Now, with the opening of the movie, you have to imagine we've had six years of teasing six years of tantalizing six years of build-up of Thanos coming to the screen and to be a major threat to the MCU so with the opening picking up where Thor Ragnarok ended with uh, New Asgard under attack the filmmakers had a real tough task to live up to the hype of what Thanos is going to be in the minds of the audience. So I feel like, I think that's 
the 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 purpose of this scene here is to show what his philosophy is and just how formidable he is, even without the stones. What about you? Yeah, you know, they they did like Thanos was a character they've been teasing since 2012 in the Avengers and the credit scene for the Avengers, and then we see him again in the credit scene for Age of Ultron, and then of course we also, in the meantime, had seen him in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. They've been teasing him for a long time. They they needed to know something. And at the time, prior to this movie coming out, Kevin Feige said something along the lines of, like, within five minutes, you're going to know why he's this big deal. Like, you're going to understand why he's this big deal. And so the movie opens up, and you've got the Marvel Studios title card coming in, like the fanfare coming in. Um and you're hearing this SOS call, which I did not, this is not something I knew the first time. Like I didn't recognize his voice at first, but it's Kenneth Branagh, the Thor director of the first Thor movie who they got to do the voiceover for that. And it opens up and basically like he, the, the distress call is saying, this isn't a warship. There's women, there's children. And when they get onto it, there's just devastation everywhere. Ebony Ma's doing his old hear me and rejoice and the speech. And he's just walking around like he owns the place. And then you see Thanos and he has Thor already defeated. And he already has what we find out is the Power Stone that he took from Xandar. So he, within the first couple minutes, we find out he decimated Xandar, the planet that the Guardians spent all of the first Guardians movie trained to save. It's now gone. He's got a Power Stone. He's defeated Thor. Loki appears defeated. And Hulk is, at this point, nowhere to be seen. Of course, he shows up a few minutes later only to get whooped by Thanos, who may not be as strong as he is, but he's strong enough to hold his own with superior fighting ability. Yeah, I would say, like, within five minutes, to me, it upheld that thing, like, of th this guy that they've been teasing at this point for, you know, six years, I, I think they lived up to it. Right, and and then, of course, like, <laughs> the one person who wanted to get the out of the MCU as fast as possible, uh, Heimdall, who like the person they give, they haven't given really anything to do uh, for the past couple of weeks. Like they finally gave him something to do in Thor Ragnarok, but Idris Elba it, it gets killed off in the scene as well. And now I know people have issue like Thanos is not as strong as Hulk, and that may be true, but. Hulk is not the most does not have the most finesse when it comes to hand to hand combat, where Thanos would have to be, and like I love that one move where he hits him like in the in the, like the neck and it's like his whole like left side goes numb because he probably hit a nerve, and then proceeds to beat him down, and you're like oh shit, and it, I remember like <laughs> I remember a kid was crying in the theater right after the Hulk got got the. Uh, snot knocked out of him, and I'm like, "Oh boy, kid, if you think that's bad, it's probably gonna get a lot worse from here." And there's always a moment that I, I always felt it's unintentionally funny. Like the Hulk's got the the crap knocked out of him, and Thor tries to defend uh, him by hitting Thanos with a pipe, and just like hits him, and Thanos like barely registers it. And it's like, "Oh come on, like really?" I'm sorry, Thor. That was kind of like a bad move on your part to do that. And Loki tries to take out Thanos and he, after 
after giving him the Tesseract to save Thor's life, um, but is killed, even though he won't really be dead. We'll get to that next time around. But Heimdall... This Loki is dead. This Loki is dead. No resurrections this time. Right. And... But, okay, did you think he would actually stay dead after this? I did, actually. This... You know, comic books. Nobody ever stays dead. And, like, when this movie ends, there are several people that you're like, well, they're definitely coming back. But... No, I, I really did believe, like, it... Especially after Thor Ragnarok, it felt like the Thor and Loki story, as is, had basically run its course. Like, they'd gone on this arc, they'd come to this place where these two could coexist together. And so the next thing, logical thing to me to happen was actually for Loki to sacrifice himself to save Thor. Which is exactly what he did. So, no, I combined with the no resurrections this time, I really really did believe that he was dead this time. And yes, we're getting a, another the Loki TV show. I've already heard rumors of a season two of it. But it's not the same Loki. Is it Tom Hiddleston? Yes. Is it still Loki? Yes. But it's from an alternate timeline. It's, so it's, it's fine. Call it a technicality if you want. But this Loki, the Loki that we have followed since Thor all the way through Thor Ragnarok into this movie, is dead. Yeah, and... Which, like, that took me by surprise. So Heimdall summons the Bifrost and sends Hulk careening to Earth. Um, Thanos now having two... Uh, oh, if- oh, let me, let me make a moment. Sorry to interrupt. Let me make a, a point about that. When Heimdall sends Hulk to Earth, he says something along the lines of, like, let the dark magic go through you as he pushes him through, right? Mm-hmm. When... Let me think here. When... Avengers happened and Thor and Loki first meet up. Loki makes a comment of like what dark magic was used to get you to earth because last we'd seen he was stuck on Asgard. And so it's just a little bit of a callback. Huh? I never thought about that. I mean, I, I always thought they just reassembled the rainbow bridge. I mean, Mario needs I mean, the, they, race- they did the rainbow, <laughs> rainbow road. That's right. They did yeah. eventually, obviously, because you see it in later movies, but at the end of Thor in 2011? Yes. At the end of Thor in 2011, the Rainbow Bridge, the Bifrost, is destroyed. So, in fact, that was part because Thor and Odin were talking because Thor wanted to be with Jane, and he couldn't be because he couldn't get there. And then in Avengers, Thor got there. How did he get there? Loki tells you it was Odin must have used dark magic to send him there. That's what Heimdall did. Right. And... The Rainbow Road, like the the, the Bride Frost is like that, so I, I would I would just probably just sit there and just watch the colors go by for hours. So I'd be immensely enjoyed that. Um, it's just like one of the places I would love to visit if it was real. Uh, so on Earth, at the Sanctum Centorium, the Doctor Strange and Wong are just kind of uh, bickering about the the price of uh, at the local was a deli or bodega. And Hulk comes careening through the skylight and crashes into it, very much like Silver Surfer, warning that Thanos is coming. And, like, every good, like, one of the best ways to end a scene is on a question. And so Doctor Strange says, who? We get the Infinity War title card. And then we cut to Tony Stark and Pepper Potts discussing that Tony had a very vivid dream that they had a kid named Morgan. All right, before, and- you, before you go further... 
sorry again. I'm just going to do this when I think of something. The title card, very loud, boisterous music. Okay? Remember that when we get to the end of this movie, what the title card looks like. All right. Right. Go on. And he thinks, like, he's questioning if Pepper's pregnant. She says, no, because I would know. I know my own body. Um and it's like, I, he's like, I just want to know if I want you to be safe. He's like, if you, why do I feel like you need to be um, unsafe? Why do you carry around this uh, new arc reactor on? It's not an arc reactor, but it's just a nanotech is uh, held in there. Um, but he's interrupted by Strange, who opens a portal with Bruce in tow. And it's the first time seeing them seeing him since 2015. And it just happens in real time. So it's been three years they've seen Bruce Banner. So it must be a hell of a a afternoon to run into him again and then they find out about Thanos and the Infinity Stones and how those are the elements of the universe and it's something I guess comic fans have been wanting to see for decades of Doctor Strange and Tony Stark on the screen together finally yeah and I, I really feel like a lot of that was just because call it what it is there are a lot of comparisons you can make between the first doctor strange movie and the first iron man movie on top of it you just have these two like incredibly intelligent narcissistic goatee heroes <laughs> so there's visual similarities between them there's similarities between their personalities and seeing them play off of each other did not disappoint they don't get along i greatly appreciate that they're going to respect each other but they do not like each other especially at the start of this no, and if you listen to the commentary track, uh, I, I don't know if it was Marcus and McFeely or the, the Russo brothers, like they wanted to use the phrase "no shit Sherlock" and, mm-hmm. during their first exchange, and since they both played Sherlock in the past, I'm like, oh come on, that's that's too easy of a joke to pass up. Like I feel like you should have went with the low hanging fruit there. I mean, I would have appreciated it. That's definitely my level of humor, <laughs> right? But it does have one of my favorite moments when like. Tony's like preparing to go to battle, so he's already he's doing his pre-workout stretches, and much the chagrin to the cape and or the cloak, I should say. And then Tony questions like, "What do you exactly do, like other than making party animals?" And the retort that uh, Strange has like, "Protecting your reality, douchebag." Mm-hmm. Like ah, uh, like ah, uh, that's funny, but then. Uh, I feel bad for Bruce. Is like, won't well, just get the Avengers together. Like, yeah, well, we're kind of broken up. Yeah, it's kind of bad. You've missed a lot in the past three years. And and here Bruce basically says something that so many of us talked about ahead of time. It doesn't matter that the Avengers broke up. Like, this is bigger than that. You call everybody. And, you know, you see Tony considering it he pulls out the phone and he looks at it the phone that steve gave him at the end of civil war he considers it but we're never going to know if he would have made the call because he got interrupted by ebony mall we're never going to know if if he would have done it i'd like to believe he would but that i that's the optimist in me sure uh, i I don't know. I honestly don't know if I think he would have or not. Like, I, I feel like I could argue either way on that. I mean, he'd give him a tongue lashing. He still would. But like how he does in Endgame, I think he would have gotten over it. Um, and so Ebony Moss shows up. And so, and 
he, he's called Squidward by uh, mm-hmm. Tony Stark, which still makes me laugh. Um, and there's just like another spaceship in New York, as you do. And it, there's only like now this movie is a tactical marvel when it comes to VFX, especially with the uh, Thanos being a completely digital character. But there are a few shots that are a little ropey. And when Ebony Maw and who is it? Is it Corvus Glaive that's with him? Or yeah. oh no, no, I'm sorry, Cole Obsidian. Uh, with Cole Obsidian, uh, uh, Stark turns to Banner and says, "All right, we need the Hulk." And Banner tries to Hulk out. It's like it's really bad compositing. You can tell it's definitely green screen. Like I know you've given guff to Aquaman for bad green screening here, and that's that I'm using that card right now here. You can use that card. That's fair enough if you want. Um, but this is not the scene where I would do it. But you you do what you want. <laughs> I, I there's a few points. There's like, there's like one two shots. I'm like, eh, I, I understand why people give uh, movies the the Marvel movies shit sometimes. But the Hulk is not coming out, and we get the first use of the nanotech uh, Iron Man suit, and we get the first real battle between the forces of Thanos and the forces of Earth, um, trying to defend the the Time Stone that Doctor Strange has. What do you think of the nano suit for Iron Man? On the big screen, I didn't like it. For some reason, it looked really soft. However, on home video with like the higher bit rate of the Blu-ray, it looks a little bit better. Um, I, I guess like because my favorite suit of Iron Man is still the one he the suitcase suit from Iron Man two. I think that's one that mm-hmm. still I think looks the best. And well, that's definitely one of the coolest like transitions like putting on scenes of putting on the suit yes but also it it does play into like the power ranger uh uh morphing sequence it's like the bad guys gotta stand there while you suit up (laughs) yes yes (laughs) because as a person it is like like whiplash could have decapitated stark while he's mid suiting up uh in iron man 2 but i like the idea of nanotech of it but like he, it does pretty much turn him into Green Lantern in this movie because of all the powers the suit has. Kind of, though. You, you, I mean, you do see it run out, but I guess that could also be argued as Green Lantern. To, to answer my own question, it's not my favorite of his suits. I like the look of it. Um, and I like that it is clearly technologically superior to the suits he wore in the earlier movies. But just straight visually, I, I do like the other suits more. Like, they just look like a cooler Iron Man suit to me. But I think, like, story perspective, this suit makes tons of sense. Right. I think logically it makes sense. Like, it's the, this is the most advanced he's ever going to get. Probably. We assume. Um, it turns and, out it is, but well, <laughs> we, we, at the time, assumed. Yes. And, like, yeah, it doesn't pop as much as, like, what was it? What's the suit that uh, saves him falling uh, out of the Avengers Tower in the first Avengers uh, after being thrown out by Loki? Is it Mark IV? No. Oh, I, I have always been terrible about the Marks. But, like, I think that one, I think, might be the best looking overall. I think uh, it's always, like... I, I still think my favorite shot of Iron Man might be the shot of him and Rhodey circled up towards the end of Iron Man 2. 
when he's it's Iron Man and War Machine together. Like that still might just be my favorite individual shot of him. So maybe that's why I'm just visually more drawn to that armor, even though from a story perspective, like I said, I like this one. It, I mean, it's always fun to watch Iron Man put on the suits. You know, at the end of Iron Man 3, when he's jumping in and out of them, I love that. So it, it's always cool to see the different ways he suits up. Yeah, I think it might look the best is because there's probably a real suit there on the day. It wasn't completely digitally created. Right. I assume they did it similar to how they do Civil War, did the suit in Civil War, where there was a big practical top piece like from the waist up, and so and then the rest was added in post. I'm, I'm assuming that's how they did that in those earlier movies too. I don't know definitively, but or at least part of it would have been done that way, if not all of it. But um, regardless, that's just I know that's a, a question a lot of people don't like the suit in this movie, so I was just curious where you were at with it. Yeah, like I, I, I enjoyed it. I'm not against it or anything. And so the, the throwdown begins... Um, and it's so bombastic that uh, the Spidey senses go off. Peter Tingle before we oh, had a name for it. Does. <laughs> Call me a traditionalist, but I like Spidey Sense more. I like the alliteration, Peter Tingle. Mm. Spider Sense is a better name for it. Spider Sense yeah. is probably my favorite power of his. So, I, I mean, I still like seeing it. Peter Tingle, I, I, I thought it was funny in the movie in Far From Home. I think it's funny how how much it upsets people. It's it's not quite as funny as it is as my joke of I'm hoping every supervillain in the upcoming movies have a tie to Tony Stark because I, I enjoy how mad that makes people. <laughs> but, it, it, I mean, regardless, the spider sense is amazing. No pun intended. Whatever. Every pun intended. And it... Like here on that bus, when you first see it, the Stanley cameo is there. It is really, it's really cool to see that because we've only gotten a couple glimpses of the Spider Sense of the Peter Tingle up until this point. And we still only get glimpses of it, but you know, up until Far From Home. But I, I love that power. So it's fun to watch the trajectory of that. Right. I mean, I don't think Steve Ditko is completely rolling in his grave over the Peter Tingle. Um, but, uh, and so I, it has one of my favorite shots of Spider-Man when he comes off the bridge and he slide, he swings across and he just like his heel just like kicks up some water as he flies towards the the battle, um, and a battle does ensue. And I love how Strange is like, "All right, if your green friend's not going to be joining us, but Doctor Banner, we're going to take you off the chessboard here," and portals him away. And it, it is like fun to see. All these people like seeing Strange and Iron Man fight side by side, but Ebony Maw is just too much for them, and it even requires uh, Spider-Man to get involved here to try and save a wizard from being kidnapped. <laughs> they came to steal a necklace from a wizard. Yeah, like this, like just the, the the most blunt force way of explaining it is still pretty funny. Uh, however, they do capture. Um, strange, and was well, it uh, Obsidian gets his hand cut off after he gets portaled over over to another part of the world? Uh, make a note of that because I'm gonna bring that back up later. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it, it wouldn't be an issue unless they unless they, the movie didn't do it themselves. And so, in order to 
go after Strange as Ma- Ebony Maw brings him up into the spaceship. Uh, Peter clings to the spaceship as it leaves the upper atmosphere. However, he's starting to lose oxygen because they're getting so high up. Therefore, uh, Iron Man sends up the Iron Spider suit, which made fans happy and angry at the same time. You know, that suit was heavily inspired from the Ben Riley Spider-Man costume. Uh, you can just tell from the visuals of it. Iron Man gave him an Iron Spider suit during Civil War in the comics. So, this I mean, those two kind of things, just throw back to that. He was offered this suit at the end of Homecoming where he basically turns it down so he can be a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Well, Spider-Man is, in my opinion, one of the few characters that truly can work in both a street-level and cosmic level stories and so it's like he was moving from the street level to the cosmos you know it's like he's gonna need a little bit better suit than the one he had something to protect him in space so i i like that they did it i do think i do think there's a couple questionable shots of him in the suit in this movie and one of them is when he first get, like gets on and he stands up for a second and he says it smells like a new car there is like just a, a brief second there that's always like oh that wasn't the best work i've seen you guys do the bulk of the movie i think it looks fine one other shot of the movie where it looks like tom holland's head is kind of floating out of nowhere but overall i like this i i, I don't like it as much as the others but i like the design of the suit I like his regular suit from Homecoming or the upgraded suit from Far From Home that he wears at the end of that one. I like those more, but I still think it's a cool Spider-Man costume. Right. And I noticed people say like, oh, Spider-Man should make his own costumes and Tony giving him suits. is It, it negates his scientist background. I think within the confines of this situation, the Iron Spider suit is definitely needed. Okay. I, uh, I have to point this out. It doesn't negate his scientific background because the suit that he made himself was a suit that he sewed out of cloth. That's not science. That's not the same thing. It's like, I'm sorry, guys. Yes, eventually Peter has made himself suits like that, but he wasn't doing that when he was in high school. He wasn't making spider armor suits in high school. And the big thing that shows you his scientific background is, always been like the web fluid like he developed the web fluid he developed web shooters and he did all of that before tony stark right and but it, do, it does that just raises questions like why is this kid poor if he's able to do that like why hasn't he patented and sold that to people but it could be used for nefarious means if it got pat- the wrong hands but getting the patents is incredibly expensive that's why he's poor he can't afford to get the patents you think you can just get a patent for free I mean, no, not if you want it all done right. You need lawyers and stuff like that that he doesn't have access to. True. Um, and I love how Tony's like, all right, kid, uh, now you get out of here. He, he Friday activate the parachute that sends him jettisoning away from the spaceship. However, he still uh, manages to get on the ship where it leaves the Earth's orbit with and Tony and now Spider-Man are just trying to save Doctor Strange. Um, at this point, we uh, a banner is finds the cell phone that Tony left behind, decides to give it a call, and I believe this. Do we go to Scotland after this, or do we go to space next? Space. Okay. Literally, uh, the space title card, not nearly like as big as the Civil War title cards, which still makes me laugh. Like it's just like, like you see a cosmic uh, being, like a cosmic 
scape and then just space is a title card. And just like that, they just you can't help but laugh at that as Rubber Man Man by the Spinners is playing um, and terribly being lip sung by Star Lord uh, with his zoom blasting throughout the ship. And this is a well oiled machine version of the Guardians of the Galaxy because even though Guardians 1 and 2 were separated by three years of release. Story-wise, it only happened like a few months after each other. So, mm-hmm. them being together for three years, it's interesting to see them as a fully functional team. I feel like you're using functional a little loosely. <laughs> but, no, I totally get totally get your point here. Uh, they've just, Like, you can just look at Groot. Like, Baby Groot is now Teen Groot, right? And it, it is cool to see, like, they've developed. They, they are... I mean, all joking aside, they are a more cohesive unit than they were in Guardians 1 and Guardians 2. And it's cool because, like, it's like, how are the Guardians of the Avengers going to meet up? Oh, Thor is lost in space, basically. They're going to get the distress call that we heard at the very beginning of the movie. Perfect way to bring them in. Right. And (laughs) adolescent Groot um, makes me laugh because I was uh, a... I could be shitty when I was a teenager. So I highly relate to this. And, and just Rocket continually threatening Groot that he's going to smash his video game uh, because he's he's just doing that and doing nothing else for two-thirds of the entire movie. You know, I, I kind of felt like he should have smashed that game at some point just to see him follow through on the threat. Yeah, I mean, like it, it obviously... He finally puts it down for the right reasons later on, but they do rescue Thor, who's been <laughs> the just right floating. reasons. Do you remember what drew his attention away from that game? Uh, it was a dying Thor, right? <laughs> I mean, it was really more Thor sticking the eye <laughs> into his eye socket. Like that's well, really yes. when he started paying attention to him. I, I mean, an eyeball that's been up Rocket's ass. Wait. <laughs> I love Thor with the Guardians. It's so There's, good. Yes, and that's why I can't wait for Guardians 3. Um, so they, even though Thor has been floating in space without any oxygen or anything, um, they bring him into the ship, where and Star-Lord's wondering who this dude is, which Drac retorts saying, no, you're a dude. This, this, this is, is a man. man. <laughs> <laughs> Like an angel had a kid with a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> now I know. Okay, have you ever heard the term the flanderization of a character? Okay. Yes. Do you know? Like, because like the, the take one characteristic of a character and they make it the defining part of them, and it becomes very broad when it comes to their characterization. Sure. I feel like that's how Star Lord is written in this movie. Because I do not like even before his emotional tantrum later on. I do not like Star Lord in this movie. Really, and it's nothing against Chris Pratt. I just feel like he's written to be kind of insufferable. Hmm. Interesting. That's interesting. When he's when he has to be serious, it works. But like when him and Gamora have that one on one scene, and then when they come across Thanos earlier on, like that, I really enjoy. But like him, be like. When they wake up Thor and find out what everything's been going on and, like, how Gamora is the daughter of Thanos and uh, 
Thor decides to go to Nevertheless. I I I think I butchered that name. Nevertheless. It's a made up word. All words are made up. <laughs> um, I, that all words are made up. Like nobody remembers that line. It was such a small little thing. But, oh my gosh, I love it. It's so, it's one of my favorite lines from the whole movie. Right, and when Star Lord's like, "You're not taking my ship." When he tries to be all like tough and everything, like it's. I, I just don't think Marcus McFeely landed the voice much like how James Gunn did for Star-Lord in the first two Guardians movies. I think that's it. I guess I get what you're saying, but I, I just I don't know if I can agree with you because I really felt like it was evolution of the character. I mean, he's a couple years older now than we last saw him technically, but it really felt like he was still the same personality to me. But to be fair, Guardians 2 is my least favorite in the entire MCU. Well, there's that. Right. So, like, and Guardians 1 is in my top five. Um, so that just shows the disparity of what I think, what the character was like between movies. Um, like, what happens later on with Star-Lord and Thanos, like, I totally understand, like, as an audience member, you're like, no, no, don't do that. But as a human being, you understand why he does it. Um, but having the Guardians meet up with Thor and concoct this plan where to get a new weapon, destroy Thanos, while they go to nowhere and try and get the other stone away from the Collector... I really enjoyed that Thor thinks uh, Rocket is a rabbit. Oh, yes, the rabbit thing. Yes, he just keeps calling him that. And I that's... He's just like, come on, rabbit. And then he, just, he doesn't know what a rabbit really is, or obviously, or what raccoons are. Now, just Thor and Rocket together in this movie are freaking brilliant. Just absolutely nail it. The scene late. There's a scene later in the movie with the two of them. We'll get there, but I, I, I think it's one of the finest scenes in the entire movie, and probably up there as one of the finest scenes in the MCU. I think I know the one you're talking about. We'll get there. Um, I mean, like hell, even before they pick up Thor, when Star Lord asks, uh, like, "Everybody, put on your game faces," and Mantis like actually <laughs> scowls. Like, it's just a little moment like that. Like, that just makes Mantis so much fun. Um, Gamora is amazing, and like her telling a story and setting up the snap that's going to be happening later on. And Drax being Drax, I know Drax's jokes can be hit or miss with audiences. Yeah, um, it went a little heavy in Guardians two for me, but overall, I like him more than not. <laughs> like, there's always that meme that goes around, like. Teacher says you can't hear an image, and then the bottom meme will show something that you immediately hear the music or dialogue from. And whenever I think of that, I think of Drax laughing at Star Lord when Mantis reveals his darkest secrets from Guardians Two. Like, oh, you're so embarrassed. Oh, oh, do me, do me next. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, like the sense of nipples joke, okay, that's that's a bit plant or his giant turds. Like, the, okay. the nipple joke was a bit much, but it, people forget that I, that's a Drax who feels like he's avenged his family, like a weight has been lifted from him. 
Right. Which comes back later on in this movie. Um, and when they have Rocket and Thor discussing, like, going to get the wep- the most powerful weapons in the universe, Rocket asks, like, is it bad that I'm even more excited to go? And Thor's like, yeah, it's a little weird. And so, so Groot, Rocket, and Thor jump in the uh, pod and say, uh, uh, oh, what the hell does he call them? Assortment of morons? Yeah, it's like, like, I leave you alone, morons, and in pieces out. Um, and so he, they leave to go off into their fast quest. Um, I know, like, I always compare it to, uh, like, I know a lot of people give the casino uh, subplot in Last Jedi shit, saying it doesn't add anything to the movie mm-hmm. when it actually does, and it's like it seems like a side quest. And I always use Thor Gang Stormbreaker as the same thing. Hmm. Meaning it does add something to the movie, or it doesn't? It does. Okay. Because okay. I think the casino thing adds for both character and plots of Last Jedi. Okay. Now that I say that, I can just hear a thousand tweets across the universe. It's like, no! And here's why you're wrong. And this is why you suck and you don't get Star Wars. And, like, stop being overly woke, yada, yada, yada. Like, all the comparisons, all the, the criticisms that people say who, of defending Last Jedi. Now, back on Earth, in Scotland, Wanda and Vision are in hiding as they're enjoying a little vacation. And they're they're hiding so much that even Wanda's accent is nowhere to be found. You know, that Wanda's accent was, like, real heavy in Age of Ultron. And, like, they've talked about, basically, they made a conscious effort to scale it back. And... The the only time I ever really think about it is if like like during a rewatch where I've see them in relatively like relatively close together like Age of Ultron and Civil War because you know those it, in in the actual release order Ant Man's the only movie between them and so like that's really the only time I start to notice it and to the point where it's now her accent is basically all but gone yeah I mean like in Age of Ultron she does sound like she's from Rocky and Bullwinkle she does sound like she's Natasha from that. A little bit, a little. I, I think that is a fair, fair assessment. <laughs> Rocky Bullwinkle, <laughs> Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver going after Moose and Squirrel. They're part of the uh, Tony Stark and Shield. Um, <laughs> now I'm just getting funny images in my head about that. Now, uh-huh. yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and. It's cool to see Paul Bettany um, not have to wear the Vision makeup for a little bit. I must have been at least one or one or two days where it was like, oh, hey, I don't have to put on the oppressive uh, red makeup and all the motion capture stuff. However, they are attacked by Corvus and Proxima, two of the other children of uh, Thanos. And... During this fight has two of my favorite shots in the entire movie, and they're both kind of, they're not like the big, like, vistas and, like, things that are meant to be very iconic, because the after Vision gets stabbed and almost, like, he gets impaled by Corvus Glaive, mm-hmm. and Wanda's defending them, and Vision and Glaive are fighting on top of a church while 
Proxima and Wanda are fighting on the ground. Vision f- shoots from his Infinity Stone. Glaive deflects it and goes shooting down to the ground below and blows up a gas truck. And like Wanda and Proxima are in the foreground, the truck blows up in the background and they're just, they don't react to it. And then eventually Wanda throws Proxima through it. Those two shots I just always loved. And they seem to be on the ropes when Proxima and Corvus uh, surround Vision and Wanda. However, they're saved by a mysterious person in the shadows. And it turns out to be Steve Rogers, Natasha Romanoff. And, of course, Falcon. And they are coming to the rescue because the war has been put out to Avengers Assemble here. So this moment when, like, the train is going behind him and you just get a glimpse of Steve in the background. You just see his shadow at the point. You don't even technically know it's him. And then Proxima throws her staff and he just catches it. And then the Avengers theme plays. Every time, like, every time that opening weekend in those first three times, it was like... Big applause line. Not the biggest of the movie, but big applause moment. And it, for I, such a great moment. It's like, oh, we're seeing these people, you know. And somehow, it's only been a couple years in Civil War where we've seen these characters. But it just feels like we haven't seen them in so long. And then here they are. Oh, such a cool moment. And you see, you want to talk well-oiled machine, how well these guys are all fighting together right now as Captain America... And two regular humans basically take down Proxima Midnight and Corvus Glaive. Yeah, sure, they've been weakened from their battle with Vision and Scarlet Witch. But, I mean, these these three street-level people come in and take out these two aliens. Very cool. Yeah, and I know people cried foul that Natasha is strong enough to hold her own against Proxima just from, from a muscle standpoint. But... When people really get into those kind of nitty-gritty details, I have to kind of shake them and say it's only a movie. Um, yeah, sure. I guess that's fair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it's 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 just cool to see them duke it out. But, um, so they had the chance to kill them, but they don't. They show mercy, which will come back to bite them. They leave, taking a Proxima staff with her. So they grab uh, Vision and Wanda and they get on the Quinjet and they go home, which we've later to find out to be Wakanda. But before that, we get... Home wasn't Wakanda. Wakanda comes Oh, later. shit, you're right. Right, 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 right. I'm getting my scenes jumbled up now. We get a flashback of Gamora's uh, Abduction. origin and how she met uh, Thanos and how... Her planet was devastated by Thanos and how he pretty much just like, yeah, you're mine now. Yeah, and this is one of those times where like he like he tries to, with the stones, say, you know, half of all life, dispassionate. It just doesn't matter, rich or poor, famous or not famous. Whoever you are, 50% shot, you're one of them going. Clearly, he didn't always feel that way because he saved her. Like, he kept her from being someone like guaranteed that she would be safe and not on the half that were killed. And then he even immediately starts to try and teach her about balance, showing her the knife, turning her head away. So she doesn't witness half of her people getting killed. It it is really weird to say, but it's so true. He loves her. He does love her. He really does. It's just so abusive, (laughs) just horribly, horribly abusive. 
Right. It's on his terms. It's not a reciprocal kind of thing. It's like I'm gonna you're gonna I'm gonna love you on my terms, and you have to love me on my terms. So it's it's a very emotionally manipulative relationship. And I always question like, okay, the blade makes sense for somebody of her statue, but it looks like a like a a letter opener for Thanos. Like, why does he have that on his person? You it know, it just seems like he, you know those like jokes in movies where it's like, okay, give me your gun, and it's like they seem to pull a gun or knives or swords out of everywhere. And eventually they do get smaller and smaller and smaller. I always kind of thought of it as one of those. He just comes armed for anything. True. And that's when we cut to the present day where Gamora still has that blade and confines into Star-Lord saying, Hey, I know something that Thanos doesn't know. And if things go south, I want you to kill me before he can take me. Now, this scene I, I really do enjoy because Star-Lord gets to play a very serious scene here and Chris Pratt sells it, both of them sell it, and that even though it'll hurt him, Star-Lord agrees to her demands. Sure. It's, it's I mean, lots of times comedic actors are great at the serious stuff too. Sometimes they're the best at it and... This is a scene that I thought really showed the love for the, these two characters have for each other. And uh, unlike the love that Thanos has for Gamora, Star-Lord's is very much not an abusive love. He is truly in love with her and wants the best for her and is willing to grant her this wish as much as he hates it and doesn't like it. And then, you know, the MCU is often criticized because they'll have a joke that breaks up tension. I think that's often important, especially in movies. And this is a pretty heavy scene and then when the scene is basically done, that's when Drax comes in. And you can't see him because he's invincible, invincible. But he comes in with his eating his chips or whatever they were. I don't I don't know. It's something about this scene. It just feels like a good... You get this heavy dramatic moment and this funny comedic bit that people often talk about with this movie and often talk about with Drax as being one of his funniest bits. I think it works. I have perfected the art of moving so slow. That I become invisible. Crunch. And then it's when Mantis shows up and says, Hi Drax! Damn it! And walks away. Uh, which I still find very funny. And yeah, like... I'm of two minds with it, because sometimes you need the sincerity, you need to let it to be serious. Um, and sometimes I feel like they don't let a moment be serious. But... Going back to something what you said before, like even though he is a controversial p figure right now, uh, Joss Whedon says like if you can if you can find hire somebody who's good for the job who's a comedian, then they can do the serious stuff. If they're funny, they can do the serious stuff because they've lived it. Because comedians, a lot of comedians get into comedy to deal with all the heavy shit they've gone through in their lives, and so. While this is happening, uh, they end up going to nowhere, which we have not seen since the first Guardians of the Galaxy. But the place seems abandoned, and we find Thanos interrogating the Collector. It's always nice to see Benicio Del Toro back in a movie. Um, 
Drax lets his emotions get the better of him, causing Mantis to knock him out, but he plummets to the ground, creating a lot of noise, mm-hmm. and alerting Thanos to their presence. However, Gamora strikes first, tries to kill him, seemingly does so, even though it does upset her. But then it is revealed that it's just a augmented reality and she had no chance of hurting him whatsoever. And it's the second stone that we see him collect, or I should say that we don't see him collect, that he collected off screen. First the power zone in Xandar, now the reality stone from nowhere from the collector. Because he already had it the whole time. This whole thing is just a big ruse. Yeah, and I assume the collector is dead. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to chalk it up here. I I assume as well, but I feel like at the same time, if they really wanted to bring him back, I mean, they could pretty easily because he could have just escaped. I mean, the Collector is supposed to be one of the more powerful beings in the universe. He could have just escaped. Right. I mean, who knows? Maybe he hid out in the same uh, tube that had Howard the Duck in. There you go. There you go. Howard the Duck reference. Well done. Mm Mm-hmm. And so Thanos takes a hold of Gamora and... Well, my favorite lines of the entire movie, when Starlord comes out, guns pointed at him, he says, let her go, Grimace. Um, and he's like, I'm going to blow that nutsack or a chin off your face. <laughs> that line gets me every time. <laughs> and, I mean, it's, there are bad times of people meeting their significant other, like their boyfriend, girlfriend meeting their parents, but I don't think any of them has topped this. Where the boyfriend's going to have to kill her because she's now in the possession of her father. But I like that they play out that Thanos is like, all right, let's see if you have the stones to go through with it. And he does, but it, all he shot was bubbles. And and it's worth noting that for all the times that Steve tells Vision in this movie, we don't trade lives. Star-Lord is willing to trade lives. Akamora's request, the Guardians were willing to trade lives. And I know we're going to talk later when Star-Lord's emotions get the best of him. But I just, I feel like this is overlooked. It's like he actively tried to kill Gamora here at her request, which would have prevented Thanos from getting all the stones. Yeah. And so, and like... I like how Thanos like remarks on that, saying like, "Oh, you have my respect," and pieces out of there. And so, back on Earth, uh, Steve, Natasha, and Sam, with Vision and Wanda, meet up uh, uh, back at Avengers uh, Mansion. Yeah, it's Avengers Mansion. I almost said like I almost said the compound. I'm like, eh, that's sort of the same thing. Uh, with uh, Rhodes and with the uh, Security Council doing their hologram uh, Zoom call, discussing what the hell they're going to do, what's going on. And even though the three of them are wanted criminals based upon the uh, Sokovia Accords, Rhodes is like, I'm not turning them in. And it's nice to see Vision and Rhodes not to have an issue but it's also, I think, what really sells this scene is that it's nice to see Natasha and Bruce get reunited, even ever so briefly. Yeah, it's always kind of a 
like they, I mean, they call it out awkward when when Bruce walks in just hiding at it. I, I would have enjoyed seeing a little more of a conversation with the two of them, considering they seemingly were a couple when we last saw them together on screen in Age of Ultron. But I, I, I agree. Here, the real thing to me is Rhodes is definitely siding with them. Like, I think of this time for Captain America as the Secret Avengers, you know, like something that followed up in the comics for a while. This feels like Rhodes is is with them. Like, he, he even says, well, that's a court-martial, and he doesn't care. He's going to help them out. And this is where they talk about how they can possibly remove the stone from Vision because Vision is made up of so much more than just the stone. And this is when, you brought it up earlier, they go to Wakanda. You know, they're like, where are we going to go for this? And Steve says, I know a place, right? I know a place. And then you just, you hear that, you hear that music, that theme song from Black Panther. And this was another, just hearing that music was quite the applause line. Right, and and if you watch the first trailer of Infinity War, there's two key things that were missing that we've never seen followed up on. One, there is a scene between Nat and Bruce while they're in Wakanda while he's standing next to the Hulkbuster armor. Mm-hmm. And the other is them running in a line out of the woods with Hulk hulked out. Presu- the Where... At the time, the official story was that was shot just for the trailers. We now pretty much know that that was just a story they told because they've gone back and, you know, when they could speak freely about both Infinity War and Endgame, have said, really, the Hulkbuster stuff they did in reshoots because they decided they did not want the reveal of Hulk and Banner coming together to Hulk out again until they did not want that to happen until Endgame. Yeah, it's so. Wait, like, does that mean there was a iteration of Infinity War that had Hulk and Banner together again at the climax of this? Yes, it, like at least how much of it they shot, I don't know, but at least in the script, yes. And they talked about how this movie Thanos wins. In this movie, like the Avengers, don't win. Like they, they I mean. A lot of people will tell you this is Thanos' movie, and he's the protagonist of it almost. He wins this movie. He wins this round for sure. And they thought, if we see Hulk and Banner, who've been struggling with each each other the whole movie to come back together ever since Thanos kicked the crap out of them, which I always took to mean Hulk was literally afraid. The official stories were basically given Hulk was tired of being Banner's whipping boy regardless the two of them reconciling and coming together would have been a win a check mark in the win column and they did not want that at the end of the movie yeah and because and you're right i mean you listen to the commentary track for this movie everybody's in agreement this is thanos's movie it's his hero's journey we go on and it is curious to see like how the avengers do like i guess I don't want to say unintentionally plays second fiddle to the, the villain. I mean, hell, at the end of the movie, the end of the credits, it says Thanos will return, not the Avengers will return. And I got, I wonder if how much Endgame was changed because they ch- changed this idea of Hulkbuster and Hulk in Infinity War. Well, I feel like... 
I know in that trailer, this is still like the same Savage Hulk design that you see in that shot of all the heroes running. But I feel like if they had come together and even begun to show that they had combined more, that Bruce was more who like more running the show, even though there was Hulk's body that the rest of Endgame still could have gone the same way. But the reveal in the diner of Smart Hulk would not have been the same, would not have had the same impact that it did, because we would have already seen that journey start when at the time we would have assumed, oh, we're going to see we're going to see Bruce Banner. We expected to literally see Bruce Banner, not the Hulk. So but I feel like other than that reveal, they could have done much of the movie the same way. Right, that that's fair. And you're right, like hearing the Wakanda theme in Infinity War, just a few months after the worldwide phenomenon that was Black Panther, which you're right. For the record, they they didn't know that was the case when they. It's not like they Black Panther came out and they're like, okay, people love this stuff. Let's get some massive Wakandan action here. No, they had already committed to this long before people ever saw Black Panther. They just knew what they had on their hands. I think. Yeah, I, I mean, like if you watch the featurettes on the Blu-ray where. They were given schematics and art direction that Ryan Coogler had made up for Black Panther, so they knew when they were shooting the, their big battle here in Wakanda, they knew the geography of what Wakanda was going to look like. And when they brought the actors over from shooting Black Panther to shoot Infinity War, they didn't know anything about the chance. And so when the actors started doing them as their own kind of vocal warm-up and getting them in the in the groove of it, the Russo Brothers was like, yeah, run with that because it's awesome. And, I mean, great call. It's awesome in this movie. It's awesome in the next one. It's awesome in Black Panther. I mean, yeah, it's like they – I mean, let's call it what it is. They – sure, I guess you could say like they, they lucked – the Russos kind of lucked into this really great concept from Chadwick Boseman – and Ryan Coogler and everyone else who had already been involved in Black Panther at that point. I mean, they really like were given something special to include in this movie with that. Yeah, I mean, like what, like the entire Black Panther cast that shows up in here, like well, obviously with T'Challa, with the Koye, with Mbaku, like and just Winston Duke just makes me happy. Whatever he shows up in, whether it be in Black Panther or it'll be in us like like he just makes me happy showing up so having him here in infinity war just is makes me it puts a smile on my face now on the same time i know like we're not doing everything completely linearly but stark is got to save strange from an ebony ebony maw like torture session but that's when he realizes oh peter is on the ship and he's kind of pissed about this. Yeah, he's he's upset that Peter still away down there. Peter even says to him at one point, you know, this is kind of your fault. And he's like, what'd you say, Tony? What'd you say? And so it's like, you can see like the little mini freak out that Tony had like at the thought of that he put this kid in danger. Yeah, and it's it's only funnier because the cloak, Strange's cloak mimics uh the Tony's reaction right there with like the, the lean in and the shoulder points, which is, just makes me laugh every time I see it now. Uh, and so they get the bright idea to save strange by distracting him, blowing a hole in the, sh- uh, distracting Maw, 
blowing a hole in the ship to send him out into space, much like Alien and Aliens. Uh, we get to see the spider claws come out to save Peter and Strange from being sucked out into the vacuum of space. And Ebony Maw freezes to death. And Strange is like, all right, let's turn the ship around and go back to Earth. However, Tony Stark is not convinced that that's the right plan. He says, like, maybe we should take the fight to Thanos. And how do you feel about Tony's plan at this point? Well, it it was quite the switch because, like, earlier in the movie, he's like, get the stone out of here. Destroy the stone, get rid of the stone, and now take the stone to him. I kind of get why Doctor Strange is upset about that. But it makes sense from another standpoint of Thanos is attacking Earth. They're playing defense. This ship is going back to Thanos. It's their opportunity to play a little offense. I get the idea. Yeah, and but like it does question – it does raise questions like can't Strange open a portal to Earth, a portal to Earth from the ship and they just walk through and they go back to Earth like that? The question has come about and I've never heard – I've never really heard any kind of answer for it, so you could speculate that he maybe maybe there's a limit to his range. But then the problem with that is, well, we've seen him use it like through different dimensions and stuff. Well, maybe that's more dimensional travel versus like this is traveling through space, whereas that's coming out of the same point in space in a different dimension. I don't know. It th- this is one of those things that I feel like I kind of wish there was an explanation given. I just have to assume. That they they don't do it because they mainly turn their focus to attacking Thanos, right? In which Stark, even even that theory I just said doesn't hold up because they use the portals to get back to Earth and Endgame. So really, it, it's just something they never gave us an answer to, right? And like even on the commentary track, the Russo brothers like saying with a cosmic level being that Strange is. You kind of have to handicap him every now and then in order to make a story work. Um, because I know, like, the Russo brothers have gotten to hot water when they spoke about Superman, about him being too powerful and whatnot. Sure. Yeah, I, I remember those comments. Yeah, it's so... Uh, because it just turned uh, the fandom into a flurry of... Uh, constructive and informative conversations and debates that were well-respected and dignified in their execution. Yeah, that's what we'll call it. My face couldn't stay straight when I said that. Mine wasn't saying straight while I listened. (laughs) (laughs) And so Strange and Stark meet a somewhat kind of, all right, trust level to do this. Um, and Peter becomes a, a Avenger, uh, which he is very proud at the idea that he finally gets to be part of the Avengers. Yeah, the, I mean, and people here are like, oh, but he turned him down when he had a chance at Far From Home. Yeah, he did because he didn't think it was time, but here he's been forced to it. It doesn't mean he doesn't still appreciate the gravity of Iron Man, like, literally knighting you as an Avenger. Yeah, and plus it's two years later after being a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yeah, he is more experienced at this point. Definitely. And while this is all going on, 
uh, Thor, Groot, and Rocket are on their way to get a new weapon in order to stop Thanos. And we get this kind of bonding scene between Rocket and Thor when Rocket says, like, hey, are you going to be okay when you finally see Thanos face-to-face again? This scene, oh my gosh, this scene between Rocket and Thor, the two of them together, and I guess we technically skip past Gamora and Thanos with uh, Nebula, but we'll get back to them. Thor and Rocket, this scene is like a masterclass, like where I appreciated the drama into the comedy earlier with, with Peter Quill and Gamora and Drax. The way they go back and forth between the drama and the funny in this scene is like a clinic on how to do that. And just the acting that Chris Hemsworth turns in here. Chris Hemsworth is a really funny actor, but he's a good actor too. And I really felt like in this scene, he got to show a lot of his range. And as he goes through and he like, he lists like rocket lists, like what all have you lost? Oh, my, my mother's dead. My father's dead. I had to kill my sister. My best friend is dead. Uh, my brother is dead. It, he lists all the stuff that he's lost and, He's like, are you sure you're okay to fight him? And then he just tries to turn back on the Thor bravado of, well, he's never fought me. Yeah, he has. He's never fought me twice. And it, I love, like, this scene, like, there is something special here with Thor and the Guardians. Just something that clicked in a way that I just, I can't think that they really anticipated before doing this movie. And then, of course, doing it in-game. We don't know definitively. There's been rumors of how much, if any, we will see Thor with the Guardians in Thor Love and Thunder or in Guardians 3. Love and Thunder is the the currently scheduled next one to come out between those two. But my goodness, I... There was a book that came out after this called As Guardians of the Galaxy. If they just wanted to make that movie, sign me up. As Guardians of the Galaxy, a team-up movie between Thor and who's ever is left of the Guardians after Guardians 3. Please just sign me up for that. Yeah, I mean, seriously, especially how their relationship is further developed in Endgame, especially at the end of that movie. We all know who's in charge. And that stare that uh, Thor gives uh, uh, Star-Lord there. (laughs) Yeah, I love this scene, and especially when it culminates with Thor just finally admitting to himself, like, what else have I left to lose? Because he thinks all of Asgard, new Asgard, is destroyed. His brother is dead. And, I mean, he doesn't have his, I mean, obviously he doesn't have his hammer anymore. I mean, it, like, it's like, what, like what, what, what more can he take from? So, my, like, this is theoretically a suicide mission for Thor. And Rocket goes, well, I have a lot to lose. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice grounded joke here. Um, in order to extend an olive branch, uh, Rocket gives him a synthetic eyeball. And that's when Groot really starts to pay attention to to Thor in a new way. Yeah, because seeing somebody put an eyeball in their socket is a sight to behold. Um, but Nivedalir is, seems to be vacant. No, the furnace is not burning. And... Something's not amiss. Something's right here. Something's not amiss. Something is amiss. And when they get there, they are, I guess you'd say, attacked by 
What was it? Uh, Itiri? E- is that the character's e- name? Itri. Itri, excuse me. Um, the dwarf who's played by Peter Dinklage, but dwarfs in the MCU or Marvel is very different from how we see dwarfs everyday life because he's a giant. Right. He's and, massive in size. <laughs> and like it was, I had no idea Peter Dinklage was in this movie. So when he showed up and I'm like, I was like, like I looked left and right. Everybody else was confused. Like, did anybody else know about this? Did you know about this? I didn't know about this. And was a welcome surprise for me when he shows up here. I, I don't remember exactly. I think that I had seen or been told or saw somewhere that he was in this movie. But by the time we actually got to this scene, that I had forgotten about it. Right. And then Thor realized that Eitri had created the gauntlet that Thanos is now using with the Infinity Stones. And for the price of being compliant with Thanos's. uh Wishes he only killed everybody else and mangled his hands. Right. You know, small price. Small price. Um, so basically the idea is Thor's looking for a new hammer. a new Something to... Uh, that's Thanos killing kind of weapons, right? Um, but I feel like before we go further with him at Nivedalir, we should jump back to uh, the previous scene of this with Thanos and Gamora and Nebula. Right. Where... Thanos tries to be a good father. It's just like he doesn't. He's not crossed with uh, Gamora whatsoever. He just wants to make her understand well, he is doing the right thing in his eyes. And he raised her the best way he could. And Gamora refutes that, saying like, "No, you stole me from my planet. You killed half the population, and you turned me into something I never wanted to be." But. Thanos doubles down by showing, like, if you don't comply with my wishes, I'm going to continue to torture your, torture your sister Nebula until she's nothing left but a scrap of parts. Mm-hmm. And so she takes her, I mean, tells her about the stone, you know, like, Gamora's like, I swear I have no idea where it is. But Nebula, having so much cybernetics and computers in her, has a recording of Gamora saying, I found it and I hid it. Which... Leads to questions that I have about the guardian of the Soul Stone that we find out it's on Vormir. Mm-hmm. Like, does she know he's there? Is she aware of him? Or is he something that's just a specter that's shown up since uh, the Soul Stone is there? Well, it's important to know that we don't actually know when she put the Soul Stone there. Or like, when she hid it there. And so... I had always kind of assumed that, and I really have no basis for this other than my own headcanon, that the Stonekeeper, which was the Stonekeeper, which when they make this reveal of the Red Skull, was a literal holy shit moment for me. I just always kind of assumed he was like more or less floating in nothingness until he was brought to the stone once the stone was put on Vormir. So from the moment at the end of the first Avenger, when the Tesseract or the Space Stone sends him off, I don't necessarily think he reappeared on Vormir two seconds later. Maybe he did, and maybe he was in hiding when she brought this 
brought the stone there or discovered the stone was there. Because really, it's more like she says she found the stone, she discovered the stone, that's where it is. Not so much that she hid it there herself, right? Not like she had possession of it. So he could have been there the whole time, seen that she knew about it, and just stayed in the back because she could never get it because she was there by herself, so she couldn't pay the price to get it. Right. I, I feel like... I don't think she physically hit it because she's caught off guard of what the price is needed in order to right, right. become so, possessed. No, she just uh, knew it was there. Right. I think she burnt the text that told her where the soul stone was. So that is a form of hiding it. And I guess we're jumping around now. Uh, when they get to Vormir, which I think is my favorite... Um, planet that we see in this movie for my favorite looking place that they go to in this movie and like you i had a holy shit moment when i saw the red skull and then i'm like i'm listening to the voice and i'm like is that hugo weaving did he in the mcu kiss and makeup uh sadly they did not and they got an actor from the walking dead to the voice and motion capture for red skull here Ross Barquan, I think's his name. Yes, that sounds familiar. But yeah, apparently he's just a great impressionist, and so he basically did a Hugo Weaving impression. A soul for a soul. Um, who have I and, and the actor you speak of? Uh, I've recently heard him on a podcast because he was there was a show called Blockbuster talking about like big name uh, filmmakers and their history. Like they did one on George Lucas and they did one on uh, James Cameron. And he actually plays James Cameron in the recreated, the dramatization of his life, um, which is always just weird because I'm like, I'm expecting him to, to say like, all right, all right, now Arnold, you're going to be over there and you're going to be the Terminator, hail Hydra. And I'm like, wait, nope, nope. These two things do not go together. <laughs> um, but it is a heartbreaking moment where Thanos is willing to kill Gamora and does to get the Soul Stone. Which is the ultimate proof that he does genuinely love her. Because if he didn't, the Soul Stone would not have revealed itself to him. Right, because like if he wanted to, if like if he had to just kill somebody and you hit the Soul Stone, like, there's nothing that's stopping him from throwing Red Skull's bony ass off the cliff and he gets the Soul Stone. Right. And it, you know, like, he starts crying when he realizes what he's going to do. And when she just says, really tears, like, mocking him, and the Red Skull's just like, they're not for him. And that's when, like, you as the audience get the realization of what's about to happen. He's about to kill her. And... I think it's just a haunting scene, the way he drags her to the side. Gamora just screaming in agony and trying to escape and petrified. And he throws her over, and then they just show you her body with the blood coming out of her head, a scene that they mirror in the next movie, haunting in a very different way. It, the, the Thanos and Gamora relationship is a fascinating relationship. It's so complicated, but... I mean, at this point, Gamora is dead. And so that what's going to happen when the rest of the Guardians find out? Yeah. And 
I, I I have to admit, this scene is kind of tainted for me because I saw a TikTok of somebody put like, you know, in Toy Story three, the, Toy Story three, the villain Lasso hugs mm-hmm. the big purple pinkish uh, bear. Yep. Somebody put him on top of a shelf with this score underneath and slowly pushed him off to make it look like he's going over a cliff. <laughs> In slow motion, too, and I'm like, oh, oh my. my God. That's funny. And I, I can't, never, I've never been able to find it again. It's, like, it's lost to the ether, um, and not the ether as in the Infinity uh, Stone either. And I'm just like, oh, God damn it. And so, like, I can't help but, like, somewhat chuckle at this very emotional moment here and you're right when Gamora makes that realization when she goes from laughing and mocking to at Thanos to oh shit I'm gonna die now it, it, it wasn't oh shit I'm gonna die it's oh shit he's gonna get what he wants she was she had already proven she's more than willing to die to stop him it's just she tries now, to kill herself. yeah she even tried to kill herself here it was if he got to kill her here he gets the next stone and he does, and he gets teleported to the bottom of the mountain with the Soul Stone. Um, while this is going on back on Earth, we've reached Wakanda, and Okoye is kind of skeptical of letting in all these people. And T'Challa says, well, we wanted to be open to more new people. And Okoye is like, well, I thought it was maybe something like the Olympics. Perhaps um, Starbucks. But... <laughs> uh, and Banner is not used to being here, and so he asks Rhodey, like, should I bow? And he's like, well, he is royalty. <laughs> I love this part. <laughs> Banner goes to bow, and the child's like, eh, we don't do that here. <laughs> One of my favorite memes that's come out of the movie. Oh, yes, yes. If we don't do that here, absolutely Love that. So, so they're in Wakanda. They're basically going to Shuri for help. And Shuri kind of mocks Bruce a little bit like, well, why didn't you just do this comic book science stuff instead of that comic book science stuff? Cause, and he's like, oh, we didn't think of it. And she's like, oh, I'm sure you tried your best. Um, <laughs> what sells it is when Vision goes from looking at Shuri to looking at Banner. It's like, huh, why didn't you do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Obviously, we had the Winter Soldier back and with a new arm. And after I sent you that Toy Story meme of Buzz Lightyear as Mrs. Nesbitt looking at his arm, I can't help but look at this the same way now. Yep, yep, definitely. <laughs> uh, so they, they're defending themselves. They, they're in this shielded place. However, the children of Thanos are here to... But bef- wage war bef- against before that, I think we got to talk about the Guardians and the Avengers meeting in space. Oh, you're right, you're right. I forgot how they cross cut this. Right. So uh, be- technically, it's before they go to Wakanda. The re- not Rocket, not Group, but the rest of the Guardians make their way to Titan, and they stumble across Peter, Doctor Strange, and Iron Man. And this is the scene where where Star Lord is holding Spider Man, and is basically. Uh, holding him captive. There's a couple shots here where I think that his head looks a little funny on the rest of the body. And so that's, those are the scenes I was thinking of earlier when you were talking about CGI, but you know, there's the whole, (laughs) where is Gamora? Who is Gamora? Why is Gamora? (laughs) (laughs) Which was just a Dave Bautista ad lib apparently. 
Um, but Dave Bautista is also a very funny actor. Yes, he is. And <laughs> I love the threat where it's like, Tony's like, all right, yeah. He's willing to let uh, Peter die if he, but he'll still blow off uh, Drax's head in the process. Right. <laughs> Just bluffing. Go ahead, Quill. I can take it. <laughs> With a cannon, it's like the size of his body is pointing at him. Mantis. No, he can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and then, he's like, they, they, they figure out, they're like, like, they mentioned the Avengers. They mentioned, like, Peter mentions the Avengers and. Star-Lord mentions Thor. And so they all kind of start to figure out that they're all on the same side. And he's like, yeah, Thor, big guy, needed saving, not that good looking. And when he says <laughs> not that good looking, like, the look on Tom Holland's face is he's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> so good. So good. I, I forget what he's just like, um, when Stark realizes that uh, Star-Lord's an Earthling, he's like, so you're from Earth. No, I'm from Missouri. Yeah, which is on <laughs> Earth, dumbass. Ah, Missouri, <laughs> where I'm from. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not. I I get an extra kick out of it because of that. Uh, who, who do I serve? You want me to say Jesus? <laughs> uh, it is curious to see how the Guardians are able to hold their own against the Avengers, but I thought was kind of like. A stretch in my eyes. I don't know. Well, you got to look at it this way. The Guardians have the element of surprise on them. And while, well, yes, it is the Avengers, you know, this is really the first time Strange and Stark have worked together. And so, it, yeah, Iron Man and Spider-Man have worked together before, obviously, but not with Doctor Strange around and stuff. They get the drop on them. And as we talked about earlier, the Guardians have now been together for a few years. I, You know what? It, I think ultimately the Avengers would have come out on top because clearly, like clearly strange was holding back, but they, I mean, they got the drop on him. I'm going to, I'm going to give him a pass on that. Well, but it just continues the Marvel method of heroes coming together. They have to fight first before they fight a big villain. Oh yeah. Yeah. Can't have a team up unless they're going to fight. Definitely. And they eventually, they, they make their way to Titan when they're on Titan when this happens. Um, which has two of my favorite moments in the entire movie. One is when Tony asks of what them and their crew do, what the Guardians do, and Mantis and Drax respond like, kick names, take ass, and Drax is like, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Which, that's me and my best friend Larry, that's us. Like that—that's our level. Like when we we get we when we're together, our intelligence collectively drops about ten points, uh, because we just make each other laugh, or we're just so silly together. And whenever and we just make each other laugh, much to the chagrin of everybody else around us. And the reaction shot of Tony Stark is the look on most of our friends' faces when we're together. That's perfect. That's how it should be. Like like, you know, like how. You have Brock. That's me and my buddy Larry. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. And so the Avengers and the Plucky team of Guardians, uh, even though they don't know what the word Plucky means, <laughs> and uh, decide to come together in order to try and stop Thanos. However, Doctor Strange is looking at the possible 
uh, ways this can go out of like 14 million and change. 14,605? I'm... Should not be shocked that you know the exact number, but there's only one way they win. Mm-hmm. Which is very ominous that they say it like that. Uh, because it's going on a lot of faith that this is going to work out. Um, at the same time, that's when the children of Thanos show up on Wakanda. Yep. <laughs> Which, I guess they expected the, they didn't expect the vibranium shield to be that powerful, so they lose maybe a couple thousand out- outriders because of that. Landing yeah. on the shield and being blown up. But they just don't care. There's always no. more of those where they came from. I mean, they're they're basically, they're not, I mean, they're technically organic, but it's like they're not even living creatures. They're, uh, they're like organic robots, effectively. Yeah, they're like, they're like insects to them, pretty much. Right. Like, there's more of where they came from. Um, and so, the, the forces of good, um get together and form a line on the fields of Wakanda to defend themselves against the children of Thanos and their respective army. Now, I, I like how in this scene, before the fighting starts, T'Challa, Steve, and Natasha go up and talk with Proxima Midnight, almost like they're going to see, like, we don't need to do this, right? And Proxima says, whatever, we're coming for you. And T'Challa says, Thanos will get nothing but dust and blood, which is exactly what he got in Wakanda. Yeah. And, it, like, it's so cool that he's willing to be, he's still dignified, and even in the face of insurmountable odds, insurmountable odds, that he's still willing to defend his city no matter what. Um, so the Outrider army is unleashed on the shield that's surrounding the city. And it's not really doing and like the the shields stopping most of them. Like even the ones who are able to make their way through without being torn apart are being easily picked off from a distance. Mm-hmm. So Proxima gets the idea, like, all right, let's spread out their forces by attacking the city from behind. So in order to keep them in front of them, they decide to funnel the outriders by opening up the shield in front of them. Where that way, all the instead of going around because they were worried, all all of their defenses were at the front. They were worried if they got behind, if they went to the shield behind, Vision would basically be unprotected. Right, who's being watched over by Wanda and Sherry? Not just watched over, but she's actively trying to remove the stone from him. Right, and so yeah, like it's literally just it's it's a. High tech capture the flag kind of scenario they're in, mm-hmm. and the outriders are let in, and of course, the two fastest of the group go charging at them. That being Black Panther and Captain America. So good, so good. Basically, the two super soldiers, and yeah, Bucky's got his own little modified serum in it, but. He's got a gun in his hand, so he stays back to keep firing from a distance. But I love seeing Steven T'Challa running 
in front of them. And, you know, Steve's got his new shields. Get that man at shield. Steve's got those little rinky-dink shields. Nowhere near as good as his usual, or I should say, vibranium shield that he's got. But just the visual of the two of them jumping first, you know, being the leaders that they both are, the generals, really, that they both are of their respective groups. And that's probably one of my favorite shots of the movie, the two of them running ahead of the rest of the group. Yeah. It's like a fist pump moment. It's like, it's going to be one of like last fist pump moments through the rest of the movie. It will get up like the biggest cheer coming up. But while this is going on, while that battle is going on earth, we cut back to Titan where Thanos returns, wondering where everybody is. And all he finds is Dr. Strange sitting there and they both, uh, pontificate on Thanos' plan and how he thinks he's doing the right thing. Look at what Titan became. It became a ruin because of the mismanagement of resources and people. So if I eradicate half of life, it will be a grateful universe because there'll be just enough left for everybody that's still there. And even the filmmakers on the commentary track address the, the question that you brought up earlier. Why not just double the resources? In a million years, they're going to be back to the exact same scenario. With the eradication of half a life, it's a lesson to be learned not to overextend yourself and think everything is infinite when it comes to resources. Right. So <laughs> this is where basically they're they're talking and Strange makes a comment of like, you'll find our will is the equal of yours or something along those lines. And that's when Thanos realizes, oh, he's not alone. He's not alone. But, oh, I do want to also mention, Thanos has an appreciation for at least some of his army. No, he doesn't care about, like, the Chitauri or the Outriders, right? But he clearly has some sort of affection for Ebony Maw at the least because when he says, I assume the Maw is dead and Strange confirms it, he just says, this day extracts a heavy toll. It's like he does actually care at least about at least some of his lieutenants, if not all of them. Right. I think that's why he gives them the moniker of the children of Thanos. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, when it does turn into like a Looney Tunes cartoon for a moment when Thanos asks, uh, and like our will, and then he gets a ship dropped on him from like it's like he's the Roadrunner. And. The plan is for them to stretch all Thanos' limbs thin and then let Mantis to mind meld with him in order to get the gauntlet off of him. But there's only one problem with this plan. Like, why doesn't that, like Strange just create a portal around his wrist, close it, to cutting off his wrist and cutting off his chance of using the gauntlet? Well, they would have, when he creates the portals, he, I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, ultimately, he would have had to get his hand in there. It, it does seem like something that he would have conceivably been able to do. I don't have an answer for that. No, it is, a, I, I admit it's a nitpick, but it's like, if we didn't see a portal cut off somebody's hand earlier in the movie, I doubt people would be questioning it as much. I just feel like it needed to be addressed. Uh, sure, sure. But I love how everybody gets their moment here. Like even Drax, like a baseball player, slides into uh, the back of Thanos, kicking out like the back of his knee. 
Peter goes through both Peters go through more multiple portals um, messing with uh, Thanos. Uh, I love how they actually had to er- digitally erase uh, Star Lord's finger in the trailers or the TV spots leading up to the movie. Yeah, yeah. Which makes sense. Uh, which, like, I hate when people say in movies like "chill the f out," like, and everything. Like, nobody really says that unless they're around children. I just don't write that line. Like, to say "chill the hell out," like, it's something that's early in the movie, but something that just irks me. I will tell you, but, every now and then, I do hear people say that. Like, literally, "chill the f out." Huh? That just me just speaks more to my vulgarity as a person. Yeah, I mean, it's not usually me who's saying it, just to be clear. <laughs> yeah, and so they're ma- they've managed to keep them on the ropes. At the same time, we cut to a third thing that's going on with a new weapon being made for Thor. Not a hammer, but an axe. Stormbreaker. Right, so they tried to, you know, light the star. And it basically the mechanism broke, so Thor had to physically hold it open, which nearly killed him. You can't, you'll die. Only if I die. <laughs> He's like, that's what what I mean. <laughs> that's what killing you means. But and you're right, like Gerda picked up the video game again, and he's kind of watching as Thor starts to die from this. And each uh, running around. Where's the axe? Where tree? Find me the axe. Find me the axe. And that's when you see. Groot grab both pieces of the axe and as it's so hot like it's burning together he uses his own literally his own limbs to fuse them together and then cuts off his arm giving it a handle and you just kind of see it lift up a little with a little lightning sparking and like reaching for Thor's hand and then that's all you see you don't actually see it go to him or anything you just the hint of it is there but they did, like, watching the behind-the-scenes featurettes, like, they shot footage of Thor picking it up and getting his cape. But they uh, they wisely cut around that for the final movie. Um, I do like that line, like, like it, it will kill you only if I die. <laughs> yes, that's what kill you means. And yes. just Peter Nicholas is selling that, just like, like, did you really understand what you just said? Um, I, I do enjoy that Thor, uh, Groot gives Thor a hand. Um, quite, but is this, <laughs> is this Stormbreaker not Thor's primary weapon? Like it's another Asgardian's weapon. Okay. So like you mean in the comics? Yes. Okay. Have you heard of better rare bill? That's I couldn't remember his name, but like I could see his figure in my mind's eye. I couldn't remember his name. Like think like the body of Thor with a horse head. Yes. And in the comics, like he was worthy of, of the hammer. And at the end of it, he, I haven't actually read this, but basically my understanding is Thor and Bill initially were combatants. They were fighting with each other through whatever adventure. And I really should read this someday. They end up working together and Bill impresses Odin so much that he makes him his own hammer Stormbreaker. So like, Mjolnir and Stormbreaker are basically the same thing, like the same. Think of it like Green Lantern Power Rings, right? They don't all look identical, but they have the same power set, right? And 
that is kind of like what this is like. It's another hammer. Obviously, they've changed it. Now, Thor does have an axe, Jawborn, something like that. I, I'm forgetting the name of it, but he does have an axe that he used, especially during the Jason Aaron run, because the Jason Aaron Thor run had had present day Thor, young Thor, and old Thor, like King Thor, and it jumped around in time. Really great run. I would highly recommend it. And it, in the past, before he had the hammer, he used this axe. And so, like, that's basically, they kind of took the idea of the axe, the idea of Stormbreaker, and they put them together. So, I, it'll be interesting to find out if they ever do bring Better Ray Bill into, into it. Allegedly, like, there's a shot of, like, a statue of, if it's not Bill, somebody from his race in Thor Ragnarok. But they haven't, we obviously haven't actually seen him yet. So, yeah, no, this is definitely a, a MCU twist on things from the comics. Right, I mean, like, I think it's, that face is you're speaking that's on the tower that Hulk resides in on the planet that majority of the film takes place on, right? Right, that sounds right. Um, I know, like people said, like maybe Better Ray Bill will will show up in Thor: Love and Thunder. Maybe, who knows? I'd be curious to see if they do that. Um. Because I know Christian Bale has been cast as a role in that movie, correct? Yes, but we don't know who has yet. And he's he's in Australia. Like, to, I don't I don't know if photography has started, but he's close to it. They're close to it at least. Gotcha. And so they're able to keep Thanos from closing his fist, and Mantis is able to mind meld with him, Star Trek style, and able to keep him in uh, a vegetative state while they try and remove the gauntlet from him. And Nebula had showed up. Yes. Very relevant (laughs) because she's the one that calls out, where's Gamora? (laughs) Yeah. And because she arrives in the most subtle of all fashions by crashing a ship into Thanos. I mean, you got to make an entrance. Yeah. Um, And then, she says when they're fighting, she says, you should have just killed me. And I love his retort because it's such a dig at her. He's like, if you should have just killed me, it would have been a waste of parts. And yeah, I'm like, oh, harsh. that is really harsh. Well, he loves Gamora. I do not believe he actually loves Nebula. No, and I don't think I've said that to my Xbox 360 when it finally died on me. Um, and but that's when, ne- when Star-Lord questions... Um, Thanos, like, where's Gamora? And Nebula says, like, they went to Vormir together, and he came back alone with the Soul Stone. And this is when, for at least a year, people turned on Star-Lord. Yeah, and... Okay, this this is where I, like, I, I have an issue with, like, with it, because, one... People, like, look at these things, like, logically. Well, what was he doing? He should have stopped it. It's for all of life. It's like, no, the woman he loved was just murdered by this man. And it's like, people expect these characters to be perfect. And one thing about Marvel characters is they are supposed to be, for the most part, flawed characters with extraordinary abilities and situations and skills and powers, right? That's why they tend to come from a more grounded level up instead of the opposite of what DC is, where it's more godlike beings who live, walk amongst 
the humans. These are humans who walk amongst God like beings, effectively. They take it from the other way. Marvel characters are supposed to be deeply flawed. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that people expected Peter Quill to not freak out when he just found this out. And we got to remember, think back to all the times if somebody had been willing to trade a life that this movie would have been over, right? Loki, of all people, was not willing to to trade a life with Thor to try and save the Tesseract. He could have just not brought out the Tesseract. He wasn't willing to do that. Vision, Captain America, Vision and Scarlet Witch, uh, Captain America, we don't trade lives. All of Wakanda, the entire battle of Wakanda is to protect the one stone to keep Vision alive. Vision himself has offered up his life, but no one else has been willing to kill him at this point to destroy the stone, which would stop the problem. Star-Lord's the only one who did it. (laughs) He did it when he had to physically pull the trigger. I do not bill any blame like ill will towards him at all on top of that if you really watch it when thanos does wake up it's when peter parker starts sliding the glove off of his hand so i think there is a little bit of room for debate there of what actually snapped thanos out of this mind meld sleep state that mantis was putting him in i'm not saying star lord is like absolved of any guilt like he does like he definitely contributed to that but it's a combination of everything. And again, I think his reactions were very human in that moment. No, I totally agree because as somebody who's had violent lashouts in a highly emotional state, I totally get what Star-Lord did that. As an audience member, you're like, no, no, you don't want that to happen. But it's, it's, I Let's totally put it this way. Iron Man was there saying, no, Star-Lord, we've almost got it off. Stop. What think what you're doing. If that had been Pepper Potts, who had been thrown off of Vormir, Iron Man would have been the exact same way. Yes. Or if, like, if Peter was thrown off of there, like, same thing. Yes. He would have been completely irrational there. Um, so... Star-Lord decides to break, tries to break the nose of Thanos with the butt of his gun, thereby releasing Mantis' grip on him, and everybody gets thrown off of him, like they're at a a dog prowl that's been pulled out from under, Um, and during this fight, this is when... Thanos decides to throw a planet at or a moon at uh, Iron Man, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which still like, I still just like I, I love Stark's reaction. Just like, oh my god, that's a planet coming at me right now. And then later, if you throw another moon at me or another planet at me, I'm gonna be so mad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which apparently, I think that was the Comic Con exclusive footage in yes. 2017. Correct. Correct. Um. While this is also going on, we keep coming back and forth. Um, so back at Wakanda, the Earthlings are starting to get overwhelmed. Like the Outriders are just too many. Like even even the uh, Bruce uh, hangs a lantern on them by actually saying that. But the Bifrost comes into Wakanda. Stormbreaker cleans off a lot of the Outriders and then theaters around the world 
flip their ever living shit yep. when Thor <laughs> yep. comes into <laughs> Thor has joined the battle. One of the loudest cheers I have heard at a movie theater was Thor the Alan Silvestri theme playing, the Avengers theme song playing there. Absolutely one of the loudest cheers I have heard. Yeah, I mean I I think like I don't know if it's topped by Endgame. It's very close. But I think there's the one single cheer. I think this one still has it. And then I, I I still do this to this day. I still pull up video reactions to people in the theater seeing this happen around the world. It's fun. Those are fun to watch. Yeah. And then it, it coupled with like Thor running at the army, just bellowing out, bring me Thanos before he decides to go ham on the army. Um... Which I love how Groot and Raccoon tried in vain to keep up with him. Uh, yeah, they were there. Especially uh, Raccoon <laughs> with his like little legs trying to run after him. Uh, I just love that Rocket Raccoon ends up with next to Bucky. Because they're able to play off a meme that the fans, I think, I, the fans basically started after 2014 Guardians of the Galaxy. Where after after Guardians came out, and you know when when they're in the the prison kiln, and he's like, "I need that guy's leg. I need that guy's arm." Like all these memes came out of pictures of the Winter Soldier, which also came out that year. And then Rocket, it just said, "I'm gonna need that guy's arm." And then they're standing there, they're in battle together. There's this really cool shot where Bucky just picks him up, and they spin around, just mowing down Outriders. And then he's just like, "How much for the gun?" It's not for sale. Okay, how much for the arm? <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love that they did that. He just has his obsession with artificial cybernetic parts, and I love that they did that. I mean, that was such fan service, but it was sometimes the fans need service, and that was a good one. Oh, I'll get that arm. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, I do enjoy this moment when Thor and Captain America were able to say hello to each other. Uh, Thor comments on Rogers stealing his uh, his beard, mm-hmm. and like this is my friend Tree. I am Groot, as Groot impales many outriders at once. And Steve Rogers, being the earnest person he is, he's like, "I am Steve Rogers." <laughs> <laughs> um, and everything seems to be going well for them on Earth. But back on Titan, I know I'm kind of crisscrossing here. Well, the scene's uh, crisscross as well. Yeah. Uh, we get to see both Strange pull out all the tricks to try and stop uh, Thanos, which is really cool to see. We see a fully powered Strange going after Thanos. Yeah, and actually you see you see the Soul Stone get used here. You know, throughout the movie, the stones light up when he uses them so when he's about to teleport like you see the space stone when he does reality you see the the redstone like flare up and that's actually one way we know that he did not use the power stone against hulk at the beginning of the movie because you never see it flare but it consistently the stones the stone that he uses flares the whole rest of the movie through and when you get all those different mirages and illusions of dr strange or doubles doppelgangers whatever you want to call them and they've all they're like holding him with those bands like the red bands you see the soul stone like flare up for a second and then he attacks the real one. So it's like he used it to find out which one was the real Doctor Strange. Yeah, and 
uh, it, it seemed like the mirror dimension, everything else, like the the weird origami that pops up here that kind of uh, confi- like just like throws uh, Thanos off guard. Uh, but when he finally gets his hand on him, he says, "Like you had your greatest weapon against you. You had your greatest weapon, but chose not to use it." But he doesn't have the time stone on him. But this is when Stark and Thanos come face to face finally after six years. You're not the only one cursed with knowledge. Yeah, and Tony throws everything and the kitchen sink at Thanos, and all it produced was a drop of blood. Yep. <laughs> which led to a great meme on Twitter where somebody would have some atrocious hot take and someone would show that the picture of that Thanos and it said, all that for a drop of clout. <laughs> and audiences around the world, when Tony is using all of his power and the nano suit is kind of failing because it's diverting power to other parts of the suit, he tries to impale Thanos, but Thanos, Thanos breaks off the blade and impales Tony with it. And I thought he was dead. I really did. Because I yeah. was convinced we were going to there was going to be a body count in this movie. And obviously there was one, but I I did not think we were going to see Tony Stark survive both Infinity War and Endgame, and I thought right there they killed him. Yeah, like like just, just imagine how many kids around the world, like, after stabbing him, he just, Thanos just twists off his head and, like, rips out his spine and and everything. Like, oh, Tony's really dead. Like, they, they make a, a very point, like, yep, Stark's never coming back. Um, But before Thanos can finish off Stark, Strange gives up the time stone to him. After he hit it in the stars, which I thought was pretty clever. And after earlier he had made a point when they were discussing whether or not to go to Titan or try and go back to Earth, he had basically said, make no mistake, if it comes between the stone or you and the kid, I will let you and the kid die. And now he gives up the stone to save Tony. Because we're in the end game now. <laughs> right, right. Where they said... The Russos said that the title of Avengers Endgame was not said in this movie, but the Russos are also proven liars about anything related to a movie that has not come out yet. Right. Because the Avengers 4 title had not been revealed at this point. Um, so Thanos has the Time Stone and pieces out of there. At the same time, the... They draw out Wanda from defending or watching over Vision onto the battlefield. And she's almost taken out by Proxima, but she's defended by Okoye and Natasha. Now, I, lo- I know people had problems with this. Like, ugh. Like, like it's like, like they feel like they were forcing like, like a, a lady moment here. And I'm like, I thought this was pretty cool. I know I know people have far more issues with it in Endgame. Which is just a successor to this one. I love this moment. You know, right before this, Wanda had come out to to help with the battle and she took out a whole bunch of those big like wheels with the spikes on them and stuff. And Akoya's like, Well, why was she up there all this time? 
And so it's like Wanda's power level is there, but she gets the Proxima gets the drop on her and just says, taunting her, he's gonna die alone just like you. Natasha comes up, but she's not alone. I love this scene. You got Natasha and Okoye next to each other, standing there to defend to defend Wanda. And Natasha's already proven, yeah, granted, she got the surprise on Proxima earlier, but she can hold her own with her just fine. And I I don't know. I, I know people have issues with this one. I know people have issues with the one in Endgame. I think these are fantastic. I think these are important. Uh, probably this is the better of the... Not even probably. I do think this is the better of the two scenes. But comparing the two, whatever, uh, female-driven scenes, if you want, I think it's ridiculous how much it does bother people because nobody questions... Thor and Captain America having a chat about their beards in the middle of all this, right? That's a funny line, but nobody questions it. So I don't know why this gets any more scrutiny than that does. Ah, uh, because we all know because people are heavily male. Assholes. What? Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> all like male-driven fandoms are known for being incredibly open and encouraging of diversity. Absolutely, completely. And like I, I, I get like, I know some people think it's kind of egregious when we get to Endgame, and like, I guess you can say like that all the ladies show up at one point. Like I, I guess you say it's stretching that a little bit thin compared to one here, but I like I think it's cool to see them on the same screen together. I think but, it's cool for young girls who go to these movies to get to see all these amazing kick-ass women do amazing kick-ass things. As a father who has a daughter, like I bet you like. Your daughter probably had the same thing when she saw that happen. She hasn't seen it. She particularly does not last through movies. She she likes YouTube. <laughs> she doesn't make have the attention span for movies. But when she gets a little older, yeah, I will probably show her some of this stuff and see if I can get her more attention to it. My son will definitely see it, and I will be happy for my son to see those things. You know, it's good for little boys, too, to see that women can do this stuff. So I – screw it. I don't care. If these scenes bother you, I'm sorry. You're wrong. It's 2020, folks. We got to keep up with the times here. Um, But I love how Wanda takes out Proxima by pretty much like levitating her up into the big, the mobile saw blades that are going across the field that cut her to pieces. Yes. (laughs) Which Natasha is doused with some of her blood, and she's like, oh, that's gross. Um, However,. Shuri is attacked by the um, shit. I forget his name now. Corvus Glaive. Corvus Glaive, and him and Vision go tumbling out of the window and fighting out into the like the back half of the field. And Captain goes running after her to defend him. And so Vision and Corvus Glaive are fighting out, and Vision's getting his butt handed to him. And the first person to show up to defend him is Captain America. Now, according to the commentary track, there was a version of this movie where this was the introduction to Captain America. Yes, and I'm glad that's not the version they went with. No, it would have been a cool moment, but I think A, it would have been a little late, and B, it would probably have been deflated by the 
entrance of Thor to the battle. Not just that, but it's like, where was Captain America during all of the rest of the battle? You're telling me he wouldn't have been there? No, the, he absolutely would have been there side by side with T'Challa and Natasha and everyone else. I am glad they made that change. I, I'm the same way. But it is cool to see <clears throat> Vision get a win by killing uh, Glaive here. And Bruce in the Hulkbuster armor killing uh, Obsidian by sending uh, Obsidian up into the shield above him after the Hulk refuses to come out again. And But even though everything seems to be okay and Thor is taking out the Outrider ships, Thanos has entered the battle. Yep, at this point, you know, he, since he got the Time Stone from Strange, he uses the Space Stone to... To teleport there and he enters and like Bruce is like Cap that's him and just to telling him this is him and at this point he has five of the stones he basically just doesn't even fight like the Hulkbuster attacks him and he just makes it phase into a wall or one little punch to knock people down and out of his way it's like he's so close to his goal he just doesn't bother fighting anyone at this point Right, he doesn't need to, but there is a cool moment, and it's obviously the trailers are built around it, when Cap is able to keep Thanos from closing his fist, even for a moment, and it catches Thanos off guard here, but I feel like the the punch that Cap endures, A, should have knocked him into back to the first grade, or he has severe CTE because of that. Yeah, it's a massive, massive punch. But this is where we got to remember he's not a regular person. He does have superpowers. Yes, he is Captain America. And even though it breaks her heart, Wanda is able to hold back Thanos when she destroys his own, killing Vision in the process. And finally, she decides to trade lives when it's too late to accomplish her goal. Right, because on the commentary track, again, I highly recommend it to everybody to do that, but the writers bring up, everybody's willing to dive on a grenade to save somebody, but are they willing to throw somebody else in a grenade to save people? It, it, it goes back to the ethical question of the end of Wrath of Khan. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. That's why Spock sacrifices himself to save the crew of the Enterprise. Spoilers. And... They're unwilling to do that until this moment. And in that moment, that's how Thanos sort of comforts Wanda. And he respects her drive in order to do that, in order to stop him from completing his goal. Yeah, and I, I just want to say, I think the acting between... This scene between Wanda and Vision when she does kill him, I think is just beautifully acted. And like, there's this line delivery from Paul Bettany where he says... It shouldn't be you, but it is. It's not fair. It shouldn't be you, but it is. I think it's just a really well done piece of acting between these two. Yeah, I, I think Paul Bettany is kind of an unsung hero here. Even from the very first Iron Man, just as the voice of Jarvis. Um, and I guess like the the line that it kind of echoes of the, we just ran out of time, which everybody does eventually. Mm -hmm. And so like that's just haunting. But... Thanos is not done. He turns back time with the time stone of Vision. So Vision lives long enough to get the stone ripped out of his head and dies again. Becoming like a gray husk and 
maybe that's a, a call out or a reference to when he had like his white uh, body in the comics. Um, and at this point, people are wondering, it's like, well, it looked like earlier when Corvus Clave attacked Shuri that like she saved her work. Like she definitely pushed some button to like end what she was doing. And so it's like, so, I mean, so many questions come out of this, and we got one division coming up soon. But it's like, is he going to actually be alive at the end of one division? Did Shuri help to save him? Is she going to help bring him back? They have the body and everything. I don't know, but I feel like there's a chance. But such a crushing scene because Wanda has to kill him, then watch him come back, realize what that means, and then watch him die again. Yeah, like it's really insult to injury. Um. So Thanos now has all six stones. He is super powered at this point. And, however, Thor has something to say to him. He has, no, he has to ask, ask uh, Thanos a question. Um, and even though Thanos like tries to use the gauntlet against him, the, the Stormbreaker is stronger and buries the axe into the chest of Thanos. But Thor takes his time he's bent on revenge here mm-hmm. and he should have gone for the head should have gone for the head his ego gets a gets the best of him because he wants to be able to tell thanos you know i told you i would kill you and here we are yep and then thanos looks at him and then snap and like you i thought that's where the movie was gonna end like we we're just gonna cut to black and like no but the writers and the filmmakers go one step further. Thanos pieces out of there. But then we see the ramifications of the snap. Seeing half of the roster, half of the population disappear before their eyes. And Bucky is the first to go. And it, at this point, it's like I've seen people criticize these deaths because they're like, like as soon as you see Black Panther go, it's like Black Panther. They he just it, he just had the highest grossing solo comic book movie of all time, like solo character comic book movie of all time. They're not going to just kill him off in this. But I tell you, and I've told people this scene is not about the people we see get dusted who got snapped. It's about the looks on the face of the people who survive, especially Chadwick Boseman, and this line that he gives. When he says, this is no way to die. And it's like, this this was the, so far it's the only movie I've seen since his death with him in it. There's a couple others I want to see, but I haven't done it yet. And that line just hits so much harder now. And like the look on Okoye's face, it's like she's speaking for all of us now, related to him specifically. But it's not even just that. You know, like, you see Rocket is torn up over watching Groot die. I mean, he views Groot as a son, and he dies. Wanda is mourning over Vision's body, and she dies. It's like, after Sam dies, uh, War Machine's walking around looking for him. Like, this this is so much more about the survivors than it is the ones who got snapped. And we know, we knew, I mean, when you're watching it, you know it. If you're at all versed in this, this stuff, you know if you if they got snapped, they're coming back. It's the other people like Vision that we question, right? Or uh, Gamora that we're pretty sure is definitely dead, at least that version of her. And then they cut back to Titan, and more and more of them all die. And oh my gosh, when Spider Man died, 
in Iron Man's arms. And like they've said, like he lasted a little longer because it was his spider sense. Like it felt it coming, so he knew it was coming. He was trying to fight it off. And sorry, Mister Stark, I don't want to go. Don't make me go. Holy crap! The look on Tony's face, so so hard to watch. I think. Like I'm welling up just to, just remembering that being in the theater, seeing that like the whole theater was like just like him saying no, no, not him, don't let him go. And it's like, that's my favorite character, and they're killing him on screen. And he is dying on the screen. And yes, I knew at this point that Spider-Man Far From Home, I don't think I knew the title yet, but I knew the movie existed. I Yeah, like Black Panther, I know he's going to survive. But you know who didn't? An awful lot of the general audience. And an awful lot of kids who don't follow this stuff the way that you and I might follow this stuff. Who don't know all the next like, five or six movies from the MCU that are scheduled to come out. They just know what the next one or two are. And so, I mean, so many people would ask me in the year between this and Endgame, is Spider-Man going to come back? Is Black Panther going to come back? Like those two specifically, people, the general audience, really did think they were dead. They really did buy into it. Yeah, and... That's why I had such a sullen reaction in the theater afterwards when they leave and when the rest of the event, like it is like the people who we knew were contracted to make more movies. Those are the ones who were snapped for the most part. Like the ones we knew who were going to be like their tenure as characters are going to be over by Endgame were the ones who survived. And it, it, it's heartbreaking. Like even like even though you know they're coming back, it's so hard to see him go. And when Rogers realizes, like, oh god, he realizes what happened. And then we see Thanos injured because of the power of the gauntlet to use it to do this. Sits in his farmhouse, looking over a grateful universe, content that he won. And the only post credit scene is seeing more devastation of the snap as Agent Hill and Nick Fury are driving around and Hill disappears. And before uh, Fury can disappear, he goes to a modified pager and sets it off. He disappears before he can say, motherfucker. And on the pager, we see the symbol for Captain Marvel. <laughs> And those of us that knew that symbol were like, oh, that's awesome. All right, Captain Marvel. And a whole lot more people were like, what in the world is that? Yeah, like you were the moment, like you were Jiam and Hansu in Guardians of the Galaxy after being told who Star-Lord is. And you're like, who? who? <laughs> yeah, and you know, uh, that's the only credit scene there. There, there is at the, where a mid-credit scene would go. You know, like they, they put up some of the titles, like the, the main credits, and then... I mentioned at the start the title card, right? The the Avengers Infinity War fanfare, loud, boisterous, you know, like victorious way. I'm going to say it. They do the fan like at the beginning of this movie with the title card here. They put up Avengers Infinity War and it's like real faint and it's just fading out and the words snap away just to book in the movie. And then that's the point where normally they would there would be a credit scene, like a mid-credit scene. 
and they just let it hang there and they just let the audience go through all the credits before you see the scene with Maria Hill and Nick Fury. And I tell you, I don't think that my opening night, I don't think I heard a single word during those credits from anybody in that theater. It was just stunned silence from everybody. Yeah. And obviously this movie was a huge success. Like you said, it made over $2 billion. And it was produced on a large budget, but somewhere between reported between three hundred sixteen and four hundred million dollars because of a just an expensive movie, and then b because of how expensive a lot of the stars were in the movie. Yeah, and it's a little hard to tell because they filmed this in Endgame almost concurrently. Right, but the the reported budgets that I've seen for it are a little bit north of three hundred. Like both this being north of three hundred and in game being north of three hundred, pushing four hundred dollar four hundred million dollars. And yeah, that is an absurd amount of money, but when you I mean at this point, the MCU was so proven. And they had I mean they'd proven that they can make a hit movie with any character at this point and make profitable movies with any character. And then they did this and was it a gamble? Yeah, it was a gamble. It's definitely a risk to make a, mu- a movie this high of a budget and try and put all these together. And if it didn't work, if this movie didn't work, like it feels like almost the entire what we now know is called the Infinity Saga would have been like looked upon as a failed experiment almost. But no, it totally worked, and people totally bought into it. And yeah, it makes over $2 billion. It sets all kinds of records at opening weekend. Which would, yeah, sure, they would get smashed a year later, but only by this movie's successor and so i mean three times in three days for me was a record that would only last a year but for me that was way more than i had seen any other any other comic book movie ever nothing like this one i love this movie so much right i mean like think of it this way like the first frozen movie made over a billion dollars at the box office. And what what Disney really makes their money on is merchandising. Like, think of it this way. Disney made over a billion dollars just from dresses from Frozen. Now, imagine all the merchandising possibilities from Avengers Affinity War. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's tons of them. I mean, Disney knows how to do the merchandising between the costumes and... Uh, backpacks and toys and the amount of merchandising money that Disney is able to bring in. So yeah, it's like the $300 million budgets, but it's like, well, it made 200, 2 billion at the box office. Of course they don't get all that money due to exhibitor cuts and splits and stuff like that. Highly profitable just on that alone. And then you've got all the home release sales and you've got all the merchandise tie-ins and I do remember before this movie came out, avoiding the toy aisle at Target like the plague. <laughs> it's like a oh, terrible saying nowadays. But I do remember just oh. avoiding that t- avoiding that aisle and be like, I'm having no part of it. The, oh, my kid's got a birthday party to go to. Order something online. I'm not going into that aisle to look for anything. <laughs> no, because in the before times, toilers were a thing. Toilers. I've never heard it put that way, but it's so true. I heard somebody say it, like, yeah, spoilers for toys, toilers, and I'm like, huh. I mean, that's why I thought we were going to get Lex Luthor in the power suit and BVS, because Jesse Eisenberg had an action figure with that, but that never came to pass. Huh. 
Maybe the next movie. TV show. Whatever it's called. Yeah, $300 million TV movie. Anyway, um, final thoughts on Avengers Infinity War. They promised the biggest crossover. They delivered, in my opinion, the biggest crossover, at least to that point, if not still ever. I mean, you could make an argument with how expansive the story is, but I do think, like, I can look at this movie as a single entity. A lot of people say, well, it ended on a cliffhanger, and I will argue it didn't end on a cliffhanger. It just ended with the villain winning. Everything in Endgame is a later interaction, and it's technically the vast bulk of that Thanos is not even the same Thanos as this one. I... What the Russo brothers and Marcus McFeely have done, I don't, I don't know. Like you really, I, I honestly like sometimes like I'm just at a loss for words for the accomplishment that they have managed to do with this. And coming out of Infinity War, I remember thinking like part of me was almost relieved at the wait before Endgame because like I needed time to process what I had just seen and I needed several viewings of it to process. And I would say it really wasn't until after I had the movie. Well, in my case digitally, but on home release where I could watch it as much as I wanted. Like it really wasn't until a little bit after that, that I started to like feel like, okay, I'm ready for the next step. Let's take this detour, you know, into well, Ant-Man and the Wasp and then Captain Marvel and then we'll get back to in-game. It's like, it, it took a while before I really felt like I was ready for the next installment. Nice. And you're absolutely correct. I mean, it was the biggest crossover ever created. I mean, I know Flintstones and Jetsons meeting was a big deal. It's but up there. That's up there. Let's not belittle Flintstones and Jetsons. <laughs> no, I mean, it, like, it goes MCU and Hanna-Barbera. That's for damn sure. Um, yeah, and... It is a sight to behold, and just to see like this intergalactic heist movie get pulled off when like all these moving parts, like it shouldn't have worked, but somehow does. Yes, there are things you can knit to pick if you really want to, but I really enjoy this movie. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. I, I mean, I think I've gone back and watched this more then Endgame. And I guess I'll get into that when we get into Endgame and my feelings of the movie there, but I feel like, I find this is a triumphant uh, collaboration of the MCU, and I think it was the perfect celebration of 10 years of the MCU. Yeah, the uh, the Marvel Studios like logo has the 10 in the, that they did for this movie, and they did it for the next couple too, but yeah, I mean, we first saw it for this one, and it really was a celebration of what the MCU could do. I mean, it's a lot of people's favorite MCU movie. It's in just about everybody's like top three, top five MCU movie rankings. For me, it's number two. And I mean, what else is there to say? Avengers Infinity War nailed it. Totally did. Now, I hope everybody's enjoyed our review of, of Avengers Infinity War. Now, Brent, if you want people to follow you on social media and the podcast that you host, oh, where can people find you? 
Sure. On Twitter, I'm at Brintech Prime. That's really the only place to find me on social media. Um, squadcastmedia.com is our website for our network. Uh, I co-host Fans Without Borders, which is a weekly show, and Marvel Squadcast, which I don't really know what the schedule is for that right now. You know, we're, we're kind of, we did an episode a little while, a few weeks ago. Um, and we'll do some more once WandaVision gets rolling here, but it's kind of, just kind of on a little break until we get some more stuff to talk about there. But, uh, the, the feed is definitely still active. So, um, check that out. Squadcastmedia.com. Very nice. Um, if you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at this is Tim Rooney. Uh, I just made it easier for people to find me and yell at me tell me my opinions are shitty. Um, which I'm all for. I'm all for having a conversation of, of differing opinions. Mm-hmm. And as well as my other podcasts, please rewind the RF 4M Retro Show, a podcast where uh, I talk about movies when it comes to anniversaries. When it comes, It's a very similar format to how I do this. And it is... It's cool because like I started planning out a lot of the episodes for this show um for the next like almost two months i got the next two show next two months worth of shows planned out for the most part and i I can't wait for the old stuff we got coming up i got a really cool episode planned for thanksgiving i got uh, i know lisa from i love that movie uh we have planned for something for her to come back sometime next month and even Chris Balga of World's Finest True Believers, uh, he's going to be coming on the show sometime next year to talk about a movie. And I can't wait for everybody to hear the content that I have producing uh, for your entertainment value. Awesome. I'm definitely going to look forward to some of that. I know Lisa was just on the show, and I really enjoyed the conversation you guys had there about movie theaters. So I look forward to her return. Yeah, I, I, I thought nobody was going to listen to this. After we finished the episode, I'm like, I hope somebody doesn't think we're just a bunch of a fudge mabudge and crotchy old people bitching about the way things used to be i mean because you kind of acknowledge it it's like no we're nostalgic for this no it was a good conversation and i i i enjoyed it i thought it was a great episode well thank you now i hope everybody's enjoyed this episode and if you like the show and you want to uh support the show subscribe so you never miss an episode uh, leave us a rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, if you leave a, a review on Apple Podcasts, I'll read it on the show and give you a shout-out. Uh, I want to say, Brent, thank you for taking time out of your night to uh, talk Avengers Infinity War with me. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely enjoyed it. Now I'm looking forward to uh, to the next one. Yep. We'll have our concluding chapter of our Russo retrospective. Come back next time as we continue to talk about geek and pop culture. And we'll be speaking to you soon.